What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Forever. Dog. On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, yes, chef, no chef, please, chef, may I have another movie about restaurants? Chef, they're always good, even when they're bad. Burnt, I'm looking at you. Whoa. No, but these two movies on today's episode are good, good. I'm talking really good. Maybe great. We'll talk. We'll discuss. Representing the art house, it's Peter Greenaway's 1989 Jacobian Thatcher era satire black comedy meet cute. This movie does everything. The Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, starring Richard Boeringer, Michael Gambon, Helen Mirren, and Alan Howard in the title roles. And representing the mainstream, it's Pixar's 2007 smash hit, Ratatouille, starring Ian Holm, Janine Garofalo, Lou Romano, Peter O'Toole, Brian Dennehy, Brad Garrett, and of course, today's guest? What? Patton Oswalt? Are you fucking me? Well, hello, everybody. Patton! Uh, Patton! Are you ready? Oh, oh my God! Wow! Then roll that theme song! <laughs> You're not going to sing this to my pad, are you? I am. I don't hear it, though. <laughs> Every week, you and I you watch left. two movies together. <laughs> well, not quite together, because we watch them apart. <laughs> You at your house and me at mine. Whoa. Every week we watch the same two movies. We've got freaking Patton Oswald in the house. But how do we choose these two movies? Well, one is a brilliant, beautiful work of cinematic art, the heights of the medium, and the other one is mainstream. I lost song there. I'm talking popcorn, baby. Hollywood endings, but what happens when we watch them back to back? And we have to say which one we like better. Remember how this goes? It's been a while. And we have <laughs> to be honest. Welcome. Welcome to Weekend at Bergman's. We're going to watch an art house movie and a mainstream movie. And we're going to tell you which one we like better. And the one that we liked better goes into canon. And the one that we... The one that we did not like as much... Goes in the trash can, and we're never allowed to watch it again for the rest of our stinking lives. Wow. That's the premise of this podcast. Um, Pat, I don't know if we told you the full premise. I don't know if you're on board with this, but the movie that we put in the trash can, uh, as being a guest on the show, you're never allowed to watch it again for the rest of your life. I don't know if you're comfortable with that. Okay, well, then I have something at stake showing up on this thing. That's right. Wait a minute. That's right. This this, This has become my personal squid game. Yeah. That's right. There are big stakes on this podcast. There are huge um, stakes. Yeah. We feel like it's not better. It's kind of just better to hit hit you with it in the moment, so you don't have to overthink it ahead of time. Um, but yeah, you've walked into the middle of a sort of a dystopian uh, sci-fi, uh, uh, you know, a Squid Game esque, Running Man esque uh, yep. scenario. 
Uh, and we'll see how it plays out. Maybe we all end up happy with our choices or maybe we'll, not. That, we'll, we'll see. We're, we're, we're going to hash it out. We're going to talk it out and we'll see which movie gets put in the canon and which movie gets put in the trash can and never to be seen again by all three of us including Patton, who might never be able to watch his masterpiece Ratatouille ever again, <laughs> <laughs> as long as he lives. So we let the conversation yeah, go where right. the conversation's going to go that's and right. we let it decide. Right. That's right. You know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, before now, look, this is incredible. We have an illustrious guest with yes. us. Uh, and Pat, I'm so sorry to do this, but before we, before we get to our great guest, my co-host Joe here has had a huge life event recently uh, this is his first time back on the podcast since yeah. having a baby. That's right. New father oh right here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. New father. Thank you. Congratulations. That's so sweet. Thank you. He's 10 days old. Oh, my He's God. He's at home. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, his wow. name's His name's Enzo. Irresponsible. And, uh, Irresponsible. He, he's the man. Here on this he's podcast, the man. No, he he would he would be he would be happy. I, I came in for the podcast. So today, how many? Yeah. Uh, at 10, 10 days old? 10 days old. How many Scorseses has he seen at this point? Like, are you starting off with the lighter uh, stuff, or are you just writing uh, a taxi driver? Yeah, well, no, I, he needs the he needs the no. You know, he we have yeah, he, he had the world is a cold, dark place, and I want to tell my exactly. my 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 baby that as Condition soon as humanly him. possible. Well, actually, all <laughs> jokes aside, I mean, TBD if he remembers. I mean, first movie Enzo ever was around for was Ratatouille, which my wife was thrilled really? with. Yes. Really? He was in the bassinet. He was, he was no offense, Pat, and he was choice. sleeping through most of it, but I think that's a good that's sign when he's this age. Right. When he's this age, you know, it's a good sign. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for everybody in, that listens to the podcast to meet him one day once he gets his mom shot or whatever. But he's, mm -hmm. the, he's the man, and uh, I can't believe I have a son. Um, but I had to come in. Pat, and I just got to say it right off the bat. I listened to Werewolves and Lollipops until my CD player broke when I when I was uh, oh growing up. Oh Lord! Wow. Yeah, until my Thank CD you. player wow. broke. It was the best. I mean, we love feeling kind of patent, but for whatever reason, Werewolves and Lollipops was our was our jam back when I was you know listening to CDs. Went to the Best Buy. I still have the 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 CD, but let I mean listen to it to death. And I'd say one of the one great of my all time favorite. Stand-up comedy specials, just bit after bit, wow. so freaking good. So, just I had to, I had to get that off my my chest, and that's that's why I had to come in. This is exciting. This is the best. Yeah. And mention, uh, you mentioned feeling kind of pat, and I have to say one of the great regrets of my life. I I was going to the University of Georgia when you recorded feeling kind of pat at the Forty Watt Club in Athens. Yeah, and I was studying abroad while you recorded it and was not able because this was like the great era it was this was the great era of like you know everybody was coming the comedians were coming to the rock clubs uh i saw oh that's right I saw mitch hedberg in athens i saw david cross in athens it was such an awesome time for stand-up and um i would have been there i don't know maybe it was uh, a v maybe it was a vip only audience i would have tried to get it no, i would have tried to get it that might my first album recording at the 40 watt was please everyone show up as many as we can get there. It yeah. was fantastic. That's awesome. And That's uh, yeah. what, what was that? How, how did you settle on the 40 watt for that first album out of curiosity? Um, I had done, I, I went down there and did a, a, a music um, festival, a small music festival and I did stand up at the 40 watt and it just went so well. And then um, uh, when it was time to record my first album, which I did with um, um United Musicians, uh, which is Michael Penn and Amy Mann's label, um, it was just the perfect spot to do it. It was so fantastic. So, um, uh, and, and also just, 
yes, I'm, I'm a huge music fan. So the history of that room, yeah. uh, the bands that came up there, of course, I wanted it for my, my ego of like, oh, I'm in this space and here's how I'm doing it you know for sure for sure yeah that is yeah. quite a room um uh obviously uh rem and all the athens bands but i remember seeing uh oh. iggy pop there the white stripes there before they were big uh it's just an incredible incredible oh space. really wow yeah for uh, the red yeah. blood cells tour they, it's like right before they hit because they so kind of cool. hit like midway through that album right you know um but it was like oh, right, that's amazing it was right before they were like big big wow was that's amazing. awesome yeah it was, was a good show it was a, oh they fucking rocked yeah, yeah it was awesome. all detroit and like, fucking and like garage, standing room yeah. only and then when the show's done they just walk out into the crowd and have a drink and yeah. i mean it was <laughs> yeah yeah very loose yeah and that was like the elephant six we're going way deep into this but that was the like elephant six era too still where like of montreal and neutral milk hotel and all those bands where they would like get wow. up mid like after a song and everyone would switch instruments and to play the next song it was just like <laughs> yeah it was it was amazing so so cool Beautiful. that you recorded uh, your first album there um and now that we're into it yeah i wanted to first thing i want to talk about because you're such a good guest for this podcast because we were we were talking about this. We were talking this about this uh, about Ethan Hawke a few weeks ago about how Ethan Hawke oh. is like this master of of range. How he makes an art form of range. If you look at his whole career, going from like, you know, uh, the the White Fang kid actor to the Reality Bites nineties mm -hmm. thing to Training Day to First Reform to now Black Phone and all the Blumhouse stuff. I mean, just a guy who just enjoys range and enjoys challenges. And when you look at Patton's body of work. I mean, the range is is unreal. It's truly unreal. The 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 amount of stuff you've done, the variety of stuff you've done, because uh, I remember in you know around the time of feeling kind of Patton, uh, comedians of comedy, you know, mm -hmm. you simultaneously this is early two thousands. You are simultaneously in my grandmother's favorite sitcom, and you represent to me like the face of alt comedy at the, at the exact same time. You're doing both things, and it's like you look back at that, wow. and it's like how. How did you kind of do both? How did you sort of live in both worlds, you know, um, creatively, effectively? Because um, I never for once thought like you do this without any sense of contradiction, I guess is my point. It just all kind of works. But keep in mind, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reference a, uh, when Steve Buscemi did his um, uh, acceptance speech. It was either the Independent Spirit Awards or the Gotham Awards. The first person that he thanked was Michael Bay because he said, because that gave me the money to go do Trees Lounge. So the reason that I was one of the, I don't think I was the face, I was one of the faces of all comedy and I was able to do Comedians of Comedy was because I was on King of Queens and I that gave me the money and freedom to go do that and put that tour together on the road. And I will be forever thankful. So always know that, you know, most alt stuff that you enjoy is being financed somewhere along the way by the machine. Um, it just depends on what do you do with the money that the machine gives you. Um, if you're just going to use it to to like hoard it and, you know, buy jet skis, that's, you know, that's you're right. Um, but it's always good to take whatever money the machine gets you and try to make stuff to let other creative people into the machine. Exactly. Exactly. And this uh, this podcast is really about that divide whether it's real, whether it's sort of made up, the extent to which it's both between the art house and the mainstream. And so looking at kind of the current state of Hollywood, where do you see that divide? Is it, is it sort of sharper than ever? Is it more blurry than ever? Um, it's, it's not that it's sharper than ever. It's just, it's the same divide. It just takes different forms. So for instance, um, when the studio system was in place, um, and there was a lot of good to the studio system. You had 
directors and actors benefited from it, but it was also, it was a monopoly and it could destroy people's lives and stifle a lot of creativity. And then you had the Young Guns come along in the late 60s and really shake things up. And then the studios got bought out by corporations, but but they, corporations were ahead of the studios in terms of you better co-opt whatever the revolution slash punk rock is, because that's how you can sell to the next wave coming up. Um, and so now, if, if anything, you know, the, these, um, it, it's all owned by massive streaming companies and corporations. And, they're, and they, they think for now that, oh, we've solved it. We, we use the algorithms, but there will be something that comes along, uh, someone, we don't know them yet, they're out there that will shake up the algorithm and create whatever the new system is. You know, part of that destruction is going to create something really new and exciting, and then it'll get co-opted again. And in terms of how those those waves go, uh, are you feeling currently, do you feel sort of optimistic about the state of cinema, particularly sort of American uh, cinema, Hollywood cinema? I am very optimistic because what's happening is, no, you can't do like big, smart Hollywood movies right now. It's got to be massive IPs and nostalgia and thrill rides. Um, But within the genre worlds, um, rom-coms, horror, um, people are doing really interesting, cool, low-budget stuff. And that, to me, is what's really, really exciting. The fact that a movie like Barbarian um, barely dropped in its second week and and it basically has no ad campaign. It's all word of mouth. And um, it just makes you really excited that, oh, that's that's what's going to be the new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for all these like low budget horrors. Like I'm not a massive X guy as far as the movie goes, but like, you know, Ty West made that film for a million dollars. They instantly greenlit a second and a third one and God bless his soul because that's exciting. Well, he, they did. Uh, what was amazing. Here's what's amazing about Ty West. They didn't greenlight that second one. He just shot it in secret <laughs> alongside the main one. <laughs> right. Have you seen Pearl? Not yet, but I Haven't can't seen wait. It yet, yeah. but I can't wait. Yeah. It, I watched X and Pearl on the same day. I got screeners and I've never seen a more genius juxtaposition of a, of a director showing you, this is the range I have. Okay, great. Well, I'm happy to hear it that. is just beyond brilliant. And there are all these, and again, also we, we've gone past the whole auteur thing where it's like, it, it go, it's going back to like Spielberg and Scorsese in a weird way, which is you get in whichever way you can. You know, Scorsese is editing Elvis documentaries and shooting stuff for Roger Corman. So is Coppola. Spielberg is doing Columbo episodes. You get in and then you get to do your stuff. And no one no one's judging anyone's IMDb anymore. It's like, hey, you, you, you had to scrap to get in. There are these two guys in Canada did this movie. One of the best horror movies I've seen in years called Anything for Jackson. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a work of genius. And uh, before Anything for Jackson... All their IMDb are these Cana- the Canadian equivalent of the Hallmark Channel. Right. Those are the mm-hmm. kind of movies like a awesome. puppy for Christmas <laughs> awesome. or a grandpa's Christmas wish because they couldn't get anything for Jackson made, but they had to make money. And they're, they had friends going, these guys can write and direct really cheap. Like, do you want to go shoot this a Christmas pony? And they're like, done. Yeah, like you just <laughs> do what you got to do, man. Yeah, that's great. All right, so you see light at yeah. the end of the tunnel. I mean, sometimes it's easy to get despondent, but then you remember some of the actual films that are coming out this year. And like, there's a lot of excellent, exciting films that I'm absolutely, all over the world, by the way, not just in yes. Hollywood. Yeah. 
and, and like the, the movie business has been in way worse straits than it is right now. Look at the stuff in the early studio stuff from the early 60s. Look at um, a lot of the stuff from the late 70s when there was that whole Star Wars hangover where again, like the, the movies always get lost and then they find themselves again. And that's part of the excitement. Yeah. And I, and I kind of want to tell Hollywood just to sort of like calm down. It seems to be there that, that there is this sort of anxiety. I mean, you, I, I see it almost. I mean, you've got the Fablemans coming out. You got Babylon coming out. There seems to be this yeah. need in Hollywood right now to like remind everyone about the magic of the movies sort of in a heavy Don't handed know, way where like I'm just movies. like, yeah, I agree. And, and honestly, I kind of, it was rewatching Ratatouille for this. I was like, just make a good movie make a, and make people a, make will come. Yeah, movie. just make like show up. the formula yeah, is here. Something good. Yeah, right. you don't have to like constantly remind us about the magic of movies. Just make a magical movie, and then and then the rest will kind of sort itself out. This reminds me of the late '80s when everyone, you know, the, the comedy boom kind of ended, and all these clubs closed, and all the a lot of people were saying, "Well, stand-up comedy is over. It was a fad." It's like, no, it's just not easy to do. There was a time, and same with movies. Um, I was talking to someone like. God, we ate so well. We we did not realize how easy we had it. And but what happened was when the boom collapsed, the people that stayed doing comedy were the people that really, really wanted to do it, rather than the, than the people that were like, I can just go up and talk about relationships and airplane food and make a hundred grand a year. This is what a great what a great scam this is. You know, there were people that actually wanted to do it for deeper reasons. And the same with movies. Movies they're just not as easy to make, but you can make them. You can make good stuff if you really want to do it. This is just shaking out all the dilettantes right now. Well, I love that. I, I do love that. That, that yeah. is a great perspective. Yeah. I mean, because we we all like everybody benefited from even like five years ago. Let's just like you know like a Quibi esque. Just everybody mm. gets a show because every we got a show. Everybody gets a show because yeah. you know just yes. everyone wants to do it. And now everybody is you know freaking out. And on one hand, nobody likes. No one here on this podcast is championing any like job losses or massive cuts at you know these no. major streamers. Not that's not what we're talking about. But like there is something nice about you're so right, Patton. If you actually want to create something, if you need to do your thing and tell your story or make a film or stand up for something, you actually yeah. like have to do it. You got to scrap. You gotta you gotta figure it out. Yeah. And it and You'll it's way, way challenging. But it, life life will find a way. I, I do yes. kind of. I am kind of. I love that. I'm feeling that way because I, I've been just like um. It's so easy to get just so crushed. Like Patton, you're obviously one of our great mo- comic mind, comic com- comic book. <laughs> there we go. Critics, <laughs> creators, minds. So what? I just had to ask you. I'm sure you asked every freaking time you or on anyone's podcast. But like the Marvel, DC, just like influx, dumping Star Wars down our gullets. Like, where are you? Like, is, do you feel like this is detracting from other stuff, or it's just no? This is businesses; they make their shows all the time, and every all the Ty Wests and all the all the brilliant yeah. scrappers are going to scrap regardless. Absolutely, nothing new is happening. Hollywood has always, always searched for the no-brainer formula. They have always searched for it. Um, there's always been that structure in place, whether it's, oh, it's trucker movies are big right now. Now it's science fictions. Now it's slasher movies. What is the easy buck? But within that, whenever that happens, people can smuggle really brilliant stuff into those um, things. Like like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show was looked, looked like a boilerplate Marvel show, but it, it was a total critique of Marvel and of America and of a lot of the rah-rah stuff we like. It's like, well, a lot of that's based on racism and violence, and maybe we need to look at that. And it's like, I can't believe some guys smuggled that into this. 
You know, so there's always ways either you can be an iconoclast or you can be a smuggler. And um, if you think that people weren't smuggling amazing themes into big budgeted studio films, go watch The Tall T or 310 to Yuma or Red River and look at all the hidden gay themes in that. Go watch, um, you know, a lot of Douglas Sirk's movies where he's basically critiquing conformity, but making it look like this big lush, um, you know, candy box thing. You, there's always, always ways to smuggle cool stuff in when people don't realize you're doing it. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And we, uh, it's been one of the great thrills on this podcast to go back and trace some of the great DIY films from history. And it's just always uh, such a thrill, whether it's yep. like Chantel Ackerman, like just scrapping together enough money to make Jean wow. Delmon or like from like, like a Belgian government stipend and then some money from over here and this and that, or yeah. David oh, Lynch yeah. making a racer head. Well, how about or, like Godard died this week? Let's just mention you go. you know, all yeah. those films. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, and the scrappiness yeah. makes it better. You know that on the Criterion channel, when you click the button, they have that one micro film section, films made for less than $150,000. I've been going through those that. are it's the best. Amazing. Those are the coolest the ones. Thrill. I love yeah. and, and especially like Breathless was not just was it was it iconoclastic in terms of, oh, let's just grab a camera and start shooting. Let's build a box. We'll put you inside the box so no one sees you. So we can make it look like no one knew who John Pel- John Paul Belmondo or Gene Seberg were. Let's have them walk down the street and talk so it looks totally natural. And then when we're cutting the movie, there's any, you know, there's like two or three frames that are boring to us. Eh, just cut them out. Screw it. Like, like, like it, that is the height of incompetent filmmaking, and it looked amazing. Yeah, and I love that it came from someone who was like a deeply, deeply passionate lover of cinema. So it was, it's like mm-hmm. he's silent. It's always the thing I love about Godard is that iconoclastic instinct, but then that you know, I mean, you know, he's obsessed with Hitchcock. He's obsessed with you know old Hollywood, etc. He's et cetera, obsessed with course. Hollywood studio films. Yeah, screwball comedies, yeah. old westerns, Raoul Walsh, Howard Hawks. Those guys were studio dudes. Yeah. They could show up. You threw a script at them. They would they, give me an hour. Hang on. Yeah, we'll just do this. I can get this done. Like they were such pros because un, as Martin Scorsese pointed out, yes, the studio system had a lot of negatives in its column. The positives were if you could work within the studio system, you could direct four or five movies a year. He was like, imagine how good someone like Michael Cortese was like looking at a Given the script for Casablanca, he's like, I know exactly how to yep, shoot this. Done. I don't need yeah. to, I don't need to angst over it and tear my hair out. We use that light here. That's the angle. You walk in, boom, we got it. Moving along. Shot it in two weeks. It's a masterpiece. Love it. I know. Yeah, Curtis is doing Captain Blood one week and then Casablanca the next. And it's like, no problem. No problem. And while it's just like on the last two days of Casablanca, someone came over. Here's next week's script. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And like wrapping that one up and then going, and hey, we'll get this one going. Yeah. I mean, my God, that's that level of confidence. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, And before we get into the films today, um, uh, I want to talk because, again, touched on this. But one thing that we just respect about you so much is as you have, you know, developed your career and worked on huge projects, you you always, you know, you you, uh, have still always done stand up, have still always, uh, you know, kept a leg in the indie film world where, you know, I mean, think about when you did uh, Big Fan was so fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, Your uh, performance in Young Adult, I've never had a chance to tell you was just fucking phenomenal. It's so good. Well, there was there was no way for me to turn down big fan, especially because all the yakking I do about new Hollywood and like we were talking about people like the Chantel Ackermans and you know where you just like get the money and somehow do it, um, you know Robert Rodriguez or or even um, uh, uh, Robert um, who did who did the the Hollywood Shuffle Robert um, oh uh, oh my God Jesus yeah 
and he just put it all on credit cards and was like, yeah. well, I'm either going to go to jail or this will make my career. Like, like that absolutely badass attitude. And this was a guy who had written the wrestler for Darren Aronofsky, got all this money, got all this attention, was being offered all this stuff. He goes, I'm taking all the money they gave me to write the wrestler to do this script that I wrote 10 years ago that I want to do. Amazing. And I was like, well, I have to do this. That's great. I love that. And uh, Robert yeah. Townsend, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. Robert Meteor, Townsend. Meteor Man himself, Robert Townsend. Oh, and love yeah. him, love him. Uh, we'll have to do that movie on. That'd be great. On Bergman at some point. Um, but uh, you've, you've always kept a leg in indie film and stand-up comedy. And speaking of stand-up comedy, um, your latest special is out now. Just came out this week. Uh, we all scream. Uh, just dropped on Netflix this week, uh, yes. which is very fucking cool. Um, always, <laughs> always an event uh, when a patent special comes out. I know there was one in uh, I think twenty twenty, right? Kind of right yep. before the t t yeah, yeah uh, beginning of quarantine, and uh, and now we all scream. Uh, what can you tell us about um, uh, you know this special versus the others? Is, is does it feel sort of continuous? Does it feel like a departure? Uh, where, where does it feel like your stand up act? Is that right now? My stand-up act is always on a continuum of me growing and changing. And a lot of times looking back at the ways I was in earlier stand-up specials and laughing at them. Um, you know, I, I have, I still have fans who, you know, were, when you did your first special, you said you were never getting married. Like, yeah. And then it, I changed. Like you're, you're supposed to grow and change. Do you write letters to time magazine going, I was reading this issue you wrote in 1988 and you were talking about how George, H.W. Bush just got elected. Pre Excuse me, uh, little no, Joe Biden's president. Like, yeah, that's uh -huh. it, it, that was a snapshot of that time. So this is a snapshot of how, um, first off, how badly I dealt with the the pandemic and the shutdown and the quarantine. I did not <laughs> handle that well at all, um, and I openly embraced that. And it's also just about my horror and fascination with how I am starting to break down physically. And in a weird way, psychologically and socially, like there's you're, you're only the young, fresh thing for so long. And then suddenly, oh, I'm part of the generation that's the turn that music down. What are you damn kids doing? And so embracing that tradition, I never want to be I never want to be the 50 year old who's decided to be 22 years old forever. That's just like, ugh. God bless. That's God really bless. don't white knuckle your youth. You can stay <laughs> curious and open, but also embrace your age. Be European about it. Embrace your age. Yeah. Growing up's it. great. And uh, speaking of being European about it, let's get into uh, the <laughs> movies. How about that segue? Um, I was waiting for a segue. Where's my wow. Brett segue? There you go. You got it, baby. I had to give there you one. There we go. Uh, and we want to thank uh, listener Kaylee for this pairing. This is a truly demented and incredible pairing. Uh, Ratatouille. And uh, the the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Uh, so many good uh, kitchen restaurant movies out there. Big Night, one of my favorites of all time. Um, mm -hmm. uh, oh. What was the one we just watched with Stephen Graham that I, we were talking about? Oh, Stephen Graham, the great British actor, just had an incredible like single shot kitchen movie. I'll, I'll remember did? it. Yeah, guys, I, I've slept what? I've slept four I, hours. Sorry, and 10 I days. have to. Find, this thing yeah. like flew way too low under the radar. It is a single shot movie in a kitchen where Stephen Graham is like it? a chef at the end of his rope. I don't remember. Um, no, it's, wait a minute. Uh, is this is this a movie or is that that episode of the the bear? Um, no. Oh well, the episode well, seven of the bear, even though it's twenty three minutes long, is one of the best chef movies ever made. It is a single shot of them trying to open up uh, for the day and everything goes wrong. It is 
unbelievable. So That's good. Awesome. Yeah, that whole series is absolutely phenomenal. I cannot wait for the next season. Uh, Boiling Point is the name of this movie. It came out in 2021. I, I um, watched it. Wow. It's not like it's 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 one of those movies where like it, it's got a little bit of it's got a few flaws, but like come on, it's a single shot movie like in a kitchen with Steve. like it, it fucking goes for it. Yeah. It has no budget. Speaking of, and it's incredible. Wow. Uh, so Boiling Point, check it out. It's on on demand. Uh, but anyway, let's get let's get to one of the greatest one of the greatest, if not the greatest, kitchen uh, uh, cooking restaurant movies of all time. Ratatouille uh, in 2007. Ratatouille was, you know, I'll give you the short version yeah, of please. how I got the movie. Brad Bird was driving around and heard one of my, heard a bit from my uh, second album on playing on satellite radio and said, that's the voice of this rat. And he apparently made a pencil test. Here is one of the early maquette models for Remy. Wow. That they gave me. This is one oh of the, my this, God. Is called, this is called Remy Awe Maquette. This is him in awe. So that's oh his little face and all. Oh my god! Wow. That's very cool. And and he made a pencil test of of the rat doing my my routine, and then he showed it to the Disney Pixar people, and they were like, "Is he gonna?" So the rat's gonna be cursing? And like, no, 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 no. Just listen to the voice. You want the voice? Um, and I just got to see the process of how immersive Pixar films are. How they go, you know, they they went to actual restaurants, saw how things work, saw how they, they built a new AI program for the tiles on the floor and the AI, because it was a learning computer at the, at, at, during the, as it was rendering, it would neaten up the tiles because they're like every restaurant kitchen floor because hot water hits it, cold water hits it. It's con it's all it is, is abuse. So, and they are the most warped, messed up floors like a, an old old restaurant that's what their floors look like and this ai was like must clean and they're like they so they had to teach the ai don't fix the floor of the restaurant it's supposed to look bumpy and weird cool um and then they also all my friends who are chefs who have worked in the industry there's little little touches that they're like i can't believe you, you they managed to put that in there which is so like there's always a pot of potato soaking every kitchen has a pot of potato soaking because you have to have them ready to go that's the first thing you do. There's always someone peeling and prepping potatoes. Also, the kitchen staff all have super sketchy backgrounds. People who work <laughs> in kitchens have to be a little warped. And it's the kind of a lot of kitchen work is the last resort for the unhirable. Um, and so there's a lot of like, well, he works here. What, what was his stuff he did before that? Look, he was able to devein shrimp for five hours without <laughs> passing out, so he's hired. I don't really care what he was doing. We need this guy uh -huh. here that so he won't go crazy while he's working the line. That's all I care about. Yeah, the Will Arnett character, the rundown of like what how he might oh. have done time. <laughs> yeah, so, so funny. funny. Yeah. Might so have funny. done time. Yeah. There's so a nice little thing. There's a nice little note. It's very subtle, but when they say um, uh, he worked, he was part of the revolution, but he was on the wrong side, and it's the guy making the cake which is that's the reference to that famous, if you can make a cake, you can make a bomb. So, oh, he was a bomb maker who just learned how to make cakes. That's so incredible. <laughs> and that's, th that's one of my favorite parts of this movie. It is it is so detailed and it is so, mm -hmm. it is so truly educational about how like the French kitchen system, which is such an orderly system with everybody oh, has their yeah. role, uh, which speaking of the bear, they talk about in the bear, um, but that that yes. system and like he's so, all these little cooking principles. I love how Remy, like one of the first thing he, he does when he fixes the soup is he just turns the heat down. Like all these little cooking mm -hmm. principles that are just like bedrock principles of cooking. And I just love that it respects, even though it's for a young audience, it respects that audience enough to, to 
to give it an, an education while it's while it's you know entertaining and telling a story. Yes. It is just such a this is it's a amazing. movie like I cannot wait to show my kid because of so, that quality of just like of really respecting exactly. the minds of children that they are capable of like this is what it, they want to know things. They desperately want to know things. And and yeah, this they, is they can yeah. put things together in context. Yeah. They get that. You know, they can always like like there's little um details the old the, the crazy old woman with the shotgun. Yeah. yeah. Um if you yeah. pause the scene as they're as they're panning across her apartment, there's a picture of her when she's very, very young with her now dead husband um, in berets with machine guns. And oh, the reason she's so good with a shotgun, she was in the French resistance. Is, oh she was God. a resistance fighter when she was young. And that's why she is like, when she's using the shotgun, she, it's not like, oh my God, how do I use this? She knows how to do it. That's crazy. So she's an ex-resistance fighter. So that's like, incredible. again, all these little yeah, things that's are incredible. in there. I love that. When you were making the film, were you able to really spend time with all the different sort of creative departments or sort of kind of understand and learn from, you know, not only the writing team, but the Brad Bird, oh, all that stuff. Yes. That, they got you I, in there. That's I, amazing. I, I got to spend time with Brad Bird. We ate at the French Laundry. I still have an open oh, offer. No uh, I just haven't had time to go up there and work as a kitchen intern for no. like a couple of days where <laughs> oh my God. in the morning you harvest stuff, That's sick. You bring yeah. it back in, you do, you learn how to do prep, you learn how to do that stuff. Oh, so Pat, dream, what, what's, dream. what's Brad Bird like specifically eating with him at the French laundry? It's a long meal. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, we made the mistake. We go to the French laundry and they went, you can have the nine course, uh, menu or the 17 course. We went, well, you we're going to have oh, the 17, 17 course. Yeah. Of course. And, and they are tiny little portions, yeah. but it was four people. And so two of the people get, get course a, the other ones get course B. So it's 34 courses. And oh by the end gosh. of the meal, we're just like, I, I, you have to like, <laughs> like, like, like there's, there's two pork uh, things left. And then we go on dessert. And we're like, I, I, unless you, unless you take a, like a broom handle and tamp down the food that's in me. <laughs> There's no way I can finish this meal. That is so cool. That that's is amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. You've been to the French Laundry, right? I have been to the French Laundry. Look at that. Look at that. I absolutely fucking loved it. It was awesome. It was one of the coolest things. It's tasted incredible. Didn't go with Brad Bird. Went with my beautiful wife. So I'd say we're even. Oh. And, it's um, incredible. Yeah. It, it truly is. It's a. It is a magical place. It's so cool. It, it, it was yeah, awesome. That's Brad, awesome. Where you been? Uh, I have not. Come I love. I love. We'll I, I, I'm a. Uh, I, I love to cook. I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I eat like a fucking uh, four year old. I eat like shit. But I. But I do love to cook. <laughs> Is so that I true? I love to go. To, I do. I've I never really, noticed that about uh, you. I eat like trash. Yeah. But I would love to go to the French Laundry <laughs> and just. I mean, I would love to do what Patton is doing. Put me to work, baby. I'll pay you. I'll yeah. pay you for for a yeah. day you to work. Got to go in the in the, we got to look in the kitchen. It was yeah. so freaking cool. Anyway, that's amazing. Yeah. Did, did you get to go to like other cool restaurants when you're like the film? Was it all like everybody kind of trying out different stuff or? Was that like your big, that was your big, your big night out? I know I was very lucky in that when we did the promo tour, we got to eat some really amazing restaurants. I've oh, been awesome. to and toured the kitchens at Alinea and Next. Oh, uh, I've toured uh, Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, which uh, if, mm-hmm. if screaming at people and making them vomit from fear makes the food that tasty, then more people need to be screamed <laughs> at. I'm sorry. One of the best meals I've ever yeah, had in my yeah, life. Yeah, um, so yeah, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to get to really experience some amazing that, that's, that's awesome. Very cool. I have recently adopted Gordon Ramsay's uh, scrambled eggs recipe, and it's transformed. The one from breakfast, TikTok, or the one from breakfast. a book, or what do you got here? Uh, from a book, it's very simple. It's just based on methods. Very simple. Very simple ingredients, but go me- on method, method, method. Uh, no milk. Uh, no milk. Just eggs, Everybody but, but milk. whisk, 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 whisk. Okay. Hard whisk until it's basically bubbly. You cut uh, four equal tablespoons slabs of butter. One goes in the frying pan at the beginning, then the eggs. 
and you're moving those things, baby. Don't stick to the pan. Moving, 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 moving. <laughs> the second tablespoon goes in halfway through. Stir okay. it through. Take it off heat for a little bit. Move it around. Then go back on heat. The final tablespoon comes in at the very end. And then the kicker, a teaspoon of uh, a little bit, depending on how many eggs you have, a little bit of sour cream stirred in at the end. Ooh. These things are fucking okay. delicious. Okay. Delicious. There's your recipe. Go yeah. to town, everybody. There you go, go to town, everybody. My baby, my kid loves it. I got a one-year-old. He loves it. There you go. Uh, wow. Can I ask Pat a question, Brett? Please, really please quick? do. Please, Pat, mm. are you willing to go on record on this podcast, make oh my, a little news oh and God. say, and you quote, Pat Oswald says, quote, it's fucking horseshit that Wally got in the Criterion Collection before Ratatouille, end quote. Um, I, yes. Well, yes, I think... Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to, because no, I really no. did love Wally, but God damn it. Especially, come on, you come have on. Criterion, because it's a movie set in France. Yeah. Come on. And there are, there are like nods to French cinema. I know. And um, I mean, that why isn't that, seriously? Come that's on. That's not the first one, guys. Come on. Come on. Wally's great, but let's just all look at each other and be honest, because Ratatouille is the better. Ratatouille is the, I was looking at the Pixar filmography today. Ratatouille is the pivotal, pivotal film in the in the Pixar it's filmography. It's so good. You cry. It is, it's yeah. actually really yeah. funny. Like, not just like, it's legit funny. The jokes really, they still land. And the, the end cry, is a like, gut punch. You, you cry at the end for happiness because it's not about things being sad. It's about people stepping up and helping each other out when they don't need to. That's what always makes me cry in movies. Yeah, yeah. That there's hope when people step up. When when Anton Ego, who you think is going to be the villain, ends up stepping up is pretty amazing. Incredible. Yeah, that part's so... I, was, there, I, there I was, cry every time. I there was one line, too. I mean, it, and it, get, it gets like... Because I know Pixar, Pixar after this, they love being sad. They love doing the sad stuff, which is it great. Works. But like, but Ratatouille is doing like dark, like old school Disney dark. Like that scene where... They oh. go and they see all the rats hung up in the window, and then his your dad says the world we live in belongs to the enemy. I was like, "Fucking hell, that is yeah. un an unreal line." It is so, and that's why I mean, it, this film was nominated for uh, screenplay for best uh, Academy Award for best screenplay, I believe, right? Best screenplay and best. Um, I remember um, Brad Bird said he went to lunch with um Scott Rudin, and Scott Rudin was like. And Scott Rudin was up for um, Best Picture for No Country for Old Men. And he was like, why didn't you submit Ratatouille for Best Picture? And then um, Brad's like, well, if you if you shoot too high and you don't get it, then the, the animation category gets mm. angry at you, so then you don't get nominated there. Mm. So we figured we'd play it safe. And then, like, Scott, he said, Scott kind of took that in and just went, yeah, fuck them. I could have totally gotten you a bet. That's insane. It's the best movie this year, and I made No Country for Old Men. Like he, he was just like, this is one of the best movies of the year. Period. Period. It's the movie too. When I was looking at the filmography, it feels like that early, that like first run of Pixar movies, which are all great. You know, Toy Story, Monsters Inc., Cars, the Incredibles, mm -hmm. etc. It feels like there is an anxiety about wanting to distinguish themselves from the Disney aesthetic, where they are all sort of like. They're not based in any sort of like, you know, fairy tales. They don't they, they're not doing right. sort of European high culture stuff. But then I love Ratatouille feels like this great hybrid where it's like, no, let's embrace what was good about the Disney movies, but blend it with what's mm -hmm. good with Pixar. Um, and it does such an incredible job of that. Um, and 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 then from there you get this just historic run of Wally up and Toy Story three right after. So it feels oh like Ratatouille God. like really. I, I think it's the best of the bunch. I also think it just sort of cracked a code for them that they kind of figured out how to do this, these like high-minded movies that were also still for children. Um, and High-minded high movies that are also so entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Like genuinely yeah. just yeah. flat out. That yeah. I mean, yes, it's set in a kitchen. There are two 
well, three really thrilling chase sequences yeah. in this film, like for real thrilling chase sequences. Yeah, the one when you know? when Remy is going against the chef trying to catch that piece of paper is oh so exciting so the whole the whole, the whole last 30 minutes of the movie is, yeah. is so exciting well with the yeah. rat the rats yeah. uh, cooking and saving it and the chef it's just you know pixar has a tradition of being incredible perfect storytellers and this one is you know this is the as one. fine this is as the, fine as you yeah. can tell a story. this is the example I think and, this and is it the best zips example. along like yeah. there isn't a scene where the end of the scene isn't just like a, a very exciting complication that immediately starts bouncing off yeah. into yep. the next scene yep. um just you know yeah. inc- you know incredibly well done i often wonder like when these movies have like 120 million dollar budgets i always just ask myself like how do they uh how do they fuck up like they can just like watch a Ratatouille, you know, watch like a like, like go ahead, like get your pad of paper out, write down like yeah. what happens scene to yeah. scene, and then just go ahead and just draw a little line. Like, okay, then this guy does this, this guy does that. It, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it's simple. I'm but saying, worst, I'm saying it's brilliant. Because at, at worst, you're at worst, you have a competent movie. You might not have like the magic of Ratatouille, like moment to moment, right. but at the very worst, you have a competent story. Uh, but this is like, I, I know, just like yeah, a, I was a, very just, exciting yeah, from yeah. beginning to end. Yeah, the shock, like. Starts right off the bat with that shotgun, Remy jumping through the window, and it's just very, very exciting, very, very watchable movie. Is very, very excellent and very, very. uh, I I, I cried when I saw it in two thousand seven. I cried when I watched it last night. Yeah, no, for real. No, it is. Come on, yeah, it's because because he he he, it's I love it because at the end, ego is reminded why he got into it in the first place. And what's what's more like satisfying like than you know I always every day I love my job we run a podcast network it's super exciting but we still we work in entertainment and some days you're like what's going on and then there's those days when we do something fun like have Patton Oswalt on like Birdman right yeah. and you're like this is why we did this in the first place I love yeah. that I cried yeah. I cry Aww. every time it's nice that old Ebenezer Scrooge turn at the very end Thanks, yeah. it's always guys. the boss come on yeah there is. <laughs> yes. you're, you're welcome Ronnie. Yes. great film um yeah um and then uh, of course uh, what what. What is the what is the the no brainer segue from Ratatouille? But uh, Cook the Thief, and yeah. his, his wife, <laughs> lover, right? And that obviously inspired uh, your portrayal yeah, of Remy. Speaking of Margaret Thatcher, sorry, I have a very embarrassing confession to make. As much of a cineast as I am, um, the only Peter Greenaway film I've seen all the way through is The Cook. The thief, his wife, and her lover. And I tried, I tried watching the Zed and Two Knots, tried watching Belly of an Architect, tried watching Prospero's books. I I appreciate what he's doing and his iconoclastic, but I just I can't, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Well, Sorry. Belly of an Architect. Belly of an Architect is our transition right there. Brian Dennehy. Oh, because Brian Dennehy, Dennehy my dad. From, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's in there. Yeah. Um, and and real quickly before we get to Greenaway, and I know, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go real quick through this, but before we get to Greenaway, um. Any Brian Dennehy, Peter O'Toole, any, any, did you, were you in the booth with those guys? Did you see him on the press tour? Here are my stories. Yes. I did not get to meet Peter O'Toole. I got to, I was at Pixar one day doing a session and they played me his dialogue that he had just recorded in England. He couldn't travel anymore where he says the, um, you know, I gave the final word. So how can it be? popular (laughs) and the animators were holding on to this piece of audio like it was the glengarry leads like (laughs) somebody is going to get to animate that dialogue and they were so excited it was like this was the this would be the pinnacle of their career is animating him the way he says how can it be popular imagine being an animator 
a Pixar level animator, knowing what you're going to do with that. I mean, it's Ugh. that's, but although it's also very intimidating because it's like, as a chef, that's like being given a piece of Wagyu beef. It's like, yeah. if you can't cook this, you probably shouldn't be a chef. Yeah. Um, so there was that. And then Brian Dennehy, I had met before I did the movie. I was in London in the early aughts and I, and I got invited to the Batman Begins premiere, which they held in London at the um, old Bailey. Cool. It's really cool. Sounds fun. Yeah, at the after party, I ran into, well, I didn't run into Brian Denny. I was at the after party and it's Christian Bale and, and Katie and, and all these just hot, hot, hot people, Cillian Murphy. Cool. Hot. And I'm just this little lump Come sitting on. there and I'm, and I'm, and I'm like going, maybe I should like lose weight and really focus <laughs> if I want to be an actor. But these people are just gorgeous. Kate, look at Katie Holmes over there. Oh my God, I'm a troll. And I'm standing at like the, this huge buffet table they had set all these mini hamburgers and chicken wings. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't eat any of this. And then Brian Dennehy just sidles up next to me, grabs a, like three burgers with one hand. He looks at me, he goes, character actors, who gives a shit if we're fat? And then just walks away. And he just freed me. He freed me forever. So then I got to meet him at the at the premiere. And I was just like, I'm such a fan of yours. And I told him the story. And he, he was just that he's this he was the sweetest guy. That's awesome. That is an incredible story. That is so yeah. fucking Everything funny. you would want to God, believe about Brian Dennehy. That's the only yeah. thing I wanted yeah. Dennehy to say to you. And he said it. That's awesome. That is amazing. Yeah, my dream, just my dream not true. have been cooler. That's yeah, awesome. So that was great. Didn't get to meet O'Toole, though. That's all right. Yeah. That's okay. You're, well, you're in Ratatouille together, so that's pretty awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before you go, Pad, you have this little tiny anecdote about Cook Cook Thief. The time that I saw the Cook the Thief, I and my friends were working at two different pizza restaurants. I was working at Frank's Family Restaurant in Sugarland Run, and my two friends were working at um, Manzi's Pizza uh, near uh, in the Town Center Mall. So we all went after work to go see the cook, the thief, me and these three other guys. So it's like, we're all kitchen employees. We're all line employees in pizza restaurants. And we see that movie and it's pretty intense. And there's, I, again, there's all these, you know, commentary on Thatcherian in England and, and, you know, capitalism and class differences and all this stuff. And so I was like, after the movie, I was like, man, that was real. And also there's just like cannibalism and it's really graphic. And um, I was like, man, that's, that was uh that was really intense. And I'll never forget my friend, Neil just went, I know, I can't believe they just let people walk through the kitchen like that. It's really insane. <laughs> like that was the thing that he, that's what stayed with him was that I mean, they're not even scrubbing. They're just like walking through the kitchen. And it was like, Oh my God, is that what you took from this movie? <laughs> He's it right. Reminded He's me right. When, what, later on, when I went to at, at this, at the time I was dating this girl in college. And so I, she and I and her mom went to go see, Silence of the Lambs, and um, what a fun day! So we're walking, yeah, exactly. What a fun day! So afterwards, we're walking out, and I was like, "Man, that was intense! Like one of the best movies I'd ever seen." And then I go, "But that was God! That was so scary!" And then my girlfriend's mom went, "I know that guy had a ring in his nipple." <laughs> And I was like, I think he was making clothing out of people. I, I mean, did you not see when he was making clothing out of people? Okay. 
It's just weird what people will yeah, fixate yeah, on. Yeah, it's yeah, important yeah, yeah, that, the, that the audience brings themselves yeah. to your art, no matter really no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what you think. And I mean, yeah, to, be, <laughs> to be fair to your pal, that is a filthy kitchen. Disgusting! I mean, they're is, fucking yeah, in it. There's they're, 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 shit everywhere. It's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, well, right. uh, thank you, Pat. This has been such a joy for us. Thank yeah, you man. so thank much you. for joining us. Um, I can't wait to check out. Uh, well, I will have already seen your stand-up special at this point. Literally, just for the for the for the for the magic of all this, I can't. Cannot wait to watch yes, it. Yes, amen. Um, I hope you like it, guys. Oh, well, I'm sure we will. We, we will can't email wait. you Yay. our 100 percent true thoughts. <laughs> One out of ten. <laughs> right to you, Pat. All right. Uh, okay, and, uh, right, cool. Yeah, so it's, we, we all scream comes out. Uh, it's already out this week. Check it out, Pat. And thank you so much. And uh, thank you. We, we appreciate this. Thanks, Pat. Thank Thanks. Right. All right. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye. Take care. Bye. See you. Hi everybody, Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. I'm not going to lie. Being on double threat and doing this, I keep waiting for those guest, guest requests to come rolling in. They never come. Wait, what do you they mean? They never come. Nobody wants me to be on their podcast. But the one that I, I did one in the last like, no, I've done two in the last like, Two years. Okay. One of the ones I did, a guy asked me my favorite movie, like on the spot. What'd you say? Goodfellas? Uh, no, I said Sexy Beast, which I like. Uh, as an that's answer, a good which answer. I like as an answer. Sexy Beast is a great That's such yeah. a good answer, bro. I'm so, because well, I had like, um, what I, I had had like a revelation a couple weeks ago prior of rewatching it and being like, when it when it just comes down to it, kind of the dynamic of this show, I was like, I was like, I think it's my favorite movie ever. Um, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not. I love about that movie is a the performances and the mm-hmm. script and how fucking intense and shocking and beautiful it is. But also, it's fucking short. It's like it's 90, short, 80, it's, it's like a ninety short, minute it's, or it's, it's tight as fuck. It's literally like they need. Are we rolling? Oh, Sweet. great, because I love this little, this little, yeah, this little, sexy, in this little sexy beast um, chest. This yeah, little, Joe and I need to come down a little bit this from, little that, from, from the high of Mount of Mount uh, Oswald. Oh, that, that was, was cool. so cool. Come on. Um, that was fucking right? awesome. Right, Brian? That was, that was fucking awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Um, I wasn't blowing smoke. I listened to Werewolf and Lollipops until my CD player. But I listened to it. Like, it was like every track on the album is killer. One of my favorite stand-up specials. Anyway, I love your answer, Sexy Beast, favorite movie of all time, Go yes. to Your Head for Fun. That's a great one. I had had like a stock answer for a long time, which was The Third Man, which is which is truly one you of my favorite Third movies Man. of all time. It's fucking um, great. It's just the epitome of that era of like collaborative filmmaking where everyone is at the peak of their game. I mean, written by fucking Graham Greene. Are you fucking, Come on. I love those old movies. Literally, you, Graham, yeah. <laughs> nothing better just than fucking, when you're watching. Like, you Lord put on like Byron wrote yeah, the fucking yeah, script. Yeah, right? you literally put on like like Burn the Devil or something. It's some goofy yeah. fucking romp in, in the Mediterranean. And it's like written by Truman Capote. Mm. It's like, OK, great. 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 I cannot wait for this. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, but Third Man was my answer for a long time. It was starting to feel like a little bit of a stock answer. Yeah. It just mainly it didn't have that, you know, what we go for on this on this show, which is like your gut reaction. Yeah. You're not trying to seem a certain way. You're nah. not relying on a stock answer. Yeah. And look, I love the Third Man, but right. a couple weeks before that podcast, I had rewatched Sexy Beast and was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't, 
avoid the conclusion that this was the most fun I, I ever have had in a movie. I know you love that film. And fun. And it's a fucking great movie. Yeah. I never would like, say, no one would say the word fun about Sexy Beast. Um, yeah, I know it's fun. I guess I would say my favorite. Pleasure. My Pleasure. favorite movie of all time. Yes. The movie that endlessly fascinates and inspires me and, and ha- always has and I'm obsessed with and I think is perfect. John Dielman. I well I'll talk, about, I'll, I'll talk about John Dielman later. I have big thoughts. But um it is Nashville. Yeah. Robert yeah. Altman's Nashville yeah. is the yeah. movie that fascinates me and excites me and makes me want to make a movie. It's just like yeah. it's everything. It's always has been and always will be. It's the best. I guess you could also say, um, you know, Halloween. I'm not, not, not going to sit here and, love and lie to you guys and say it's not literally just Halloween. Joe has been um, feeding the me. The David Gordon Green one. Oh. No, no, I'm kidding. Of course. Joe's been feeding Carpenter me. One. No, Joe is a true Carpenter stand. Joe's been feeding me Carpenter uh, memes, uh, not even memes, just interviews. Um, and Joe's not really on Twitter, so this is not like he's not just recycling. Like Joe's just doing this in his life, in his like private time, in his little I just, office. Yeah, just friends and family will just send me John Carpenter interviews. There's a great yeah. new one with him in the New Yorker. If you're just like can't get enough of his irascibility, right? It's always uh, fun. But yeah, I love Carpenter. I, I mean, really, I love Halloween. I mean, talk about technical precision and no fluff. Like we were talking yeah. about with Patton. Like holy mother of God, the original Halloween. Um, is perfect. There's no fluff. It is a person who is completely and totally confident in every shot. And honestly, and and, and in a way, and in in Nashville, you think it's so free-floating Fantasia where it's just like not manicured and it's sprawling. No, 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 no. This is is a finely wrought film handling many components. And I love ensemble film, Brett. I love music in film. So this is Um, is your movie. And Altman Altman is the best at music in film. I love in... um, What's in California split when they go to that Ooh, bar at the end and there is uh, that lounge singer and, um, you know, Gould just sitting there with the bandage on his nose. And she's just like the music in Altman is just it just pops. It is, is amazing. And Nashville, of course, just like just, you know, the, the best. The, I love the, the, that. My favorite movie. When Jeff Goldblum uh, pulls up on that like on that like yeah, sit down rider. stretch uh, uh, motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The like toy toy style. So, Good. Uh, I love that. Long goodbye. It would be in my is sort of rotates through my top ten. But Nashville is a true is is a great. That's the one, folks. That's the one. Um, You know what I had? Speaking of this, like realizing your favorite movie or your favorite director. um, Last. uh, We missed you last week. I missed you guys so much. uh, Or two weeks ago, I should say. I know. And our and our and our dear friends and compatriots. Our great friends. um, And they fucking. Big shit all over me. Yeah, so let's talk about this. Let's the talk shit about all over this. me. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know where this is going in the episode, but but this is we're after the patent interview now. So we are, but we're going to take a little time to kind of like Joe and I have to catch up. We got. We, 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 I haven't we been got, here for we, weeks. Yeah, we got to connect. Okay, so because Patton came on, he's he's that guy is on this on man. He shows up right on time. I'm telling you what, nothing we didn't deserve more. That. No, we didn't nothing deserve is that. more impressive than when like I'll tell you, you know who else showed up on on time? Fucking Martin Short. You know, you know who shows up on time. Uh, successful uh, people. That that's who shows up on time. Martin okay? Short and Patton Oswalt. Those are the two they people who up show up on, time, up on time. Okay. If you're not showing up on time to a Zoom, all right, that's on you. Okay. You ain't all. You. It's not a big. It's not like a big time. Martin move. Short. Fuckers. A big time move is showing up on time, not early. Right on time. Right <laughs> when the clock strikes. That is a big time five. move right there. Yeah. Showing up. You know what? Uh, what is this? Uh, pitchfork. Uh, overrated. Underrated. Showing up late as a as a power move, 
uh, overrated. Showing up on time as a power move, underrated. Couldn't agree more. All right. I walk into every single meeting. Right How do we time. get ourselves one of these overrated, underrated video series? We just keep on keeping on. All right. Do you know what we got to do? If you, you so really simple. want that, so we just simple. sit here and we just enjoy film and we talk about it. And we get better at it every week. I think and our so fans popular. keep talking about it. And we all just like have fun really with what I've come to the conclusion is sorry. You know, music might be the best art form because it's just like who can argue with music. But man, there's something about film. There's something about film. Well, speaking folks. of there's something yeah. about film. Yeah. Uh, so last week uh, we had a great episode. Some 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 people are calling it our best episode I know. Uh, of all time. I, I, uh, I've heard this. Uh, to which I say, fuck you. Come on, fuck you guys. Come on. But then nah, think, but think, no, no, think about best. who was Me, on it. Because also because here yeah. here is the here is how you can. Uh, because I know you got You have to sort of come to terms with this in your head and yeah. be at peace with this. Right. Here's how you come to terms with it. It wasn't. It wasn't me. No, it was I, fucking, I, like right. It was the fucking star no, power meeple. we had on the yeah, uh, big dipper, meeple and big dipper. You know, but, you know, meeple, yeah. Those two together are just a fucking because you can't say one without the other. They are that is a that's what we strive for that Brother. dynamic that dynamic. That's why feeding two the other, times a week, setting each other up. Two times a week, you can hear meatball and dipper. Go at it. Here's your second two chance. Two times a week on sloppy last, seconds on mom. I stopped the show last two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I stopped the show. I said, right now, in, you're in your podcast app. I don't care if you're driving. Pull over to the side mm-hmm. of the road, right? In your podcast app, search for sloppy seconds. Hit subscribe. It's that easy. Yeah. You'll just start showing up. You'll start listening to it. You'll start loving it. Yeah. It'll become part of your right. life, okay? If you want to laugh, don't listen to fucking Weekend at fucking Bergman's. Don't. Wait, what? Listen I to sloppy. Gonna... Oh, wait, sorry. Gonna... Oh, sorry. Listen to sloppy seconds. Yeah. Anyway, no, but anyway, great episode. I thought we you guys were, were going to burn one of our favorite burns there. Yeah. I thought that was, you uh, know. I, I, I was going to say blank check, but I didn't. That wasn't a mean. blank. That wasn't a blank fucking check. They got enough. Let me guess. You love it because Ryan Johnson made it. Fuck Ryan Johnson. No, I love Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson's him. great. He's, I, 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 I would die that's for him great. to be here. I'm kidding. I need to hear you say last of Sheila more, though. I need to hear you say the words. You only have to say them in order. Right. I'll piece it together. Right. Like when people do those videos of Jordan Pearson where he's like, I like frogs after because he just said, I like frogs. You'll, you'll make a Ryan Johnson. Yeah. I'll make a Ryan Johnson. Uh, so just say those words separately and then I'll piece it together for you. We'll, we'll team up. But I need no, you to Ryan say the Johnson's words last. Cool. I'd love to have Ryan. Obviously, duh, I'd love to have Ryan Johnson on the podcast. And anyway, behind it, the scenes, yeah. I will say, I will say also if we're talking about nice on time guests. Ryan Johnson was fucking nice. He was a very yeah, he, nice Of course, guy. he's a great filmmaker, too. And Glass Onion's going to slap. Actually, okay? can I tell you a little story? Yeah. Double there behind the scenes. Ryan Johnson, super nice. Okay, this guy is literally. Um, when he was on Double Threat, he was he was writing. Um, and also, let's not forget Corinna Longworth, also very nice. I'm sorry, but this is just this is a specific Ryan interaction Johnson of story. Ryan Johnson's story. Um, he's writing uh, Knives Out Two. Uh, he's in the middle of that. He he he's doing this. He's doing that. He's still dealing with the Star Wars bullshit. This yeah. and that. Right. Uh, we have him on Double Threat. Um, he, uh, we did a, a newlyweds the, or new new newly host game, whatever, based on the newlywed thing and with blah blah blah. Uh, it's a great episode. Go check it out if you haven't listened to it. It is. It's so uh, good. it's very good. But at the end of that episode, we uh, read a a a listener. It was like a listener created screenplay about Tom and Julie and me going to see Tenant, mm-hmm. and. It was like a piece together from dis- different listener submissions, and then we performed it at the end of the episode. We wanted, we didn't, he, they had to run during the recording, but we wanted to get Ryan Johnson and Karina to read a couple of lines. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I embarrassingly had to like email Ryan Johnson after the recording <laughs> to be like, hey, um, I know you have like, because he told us he had like a Star home Wars, recording yeah, set up. Right, yeah, uh-huh. it's like, I know uh-huh. you're like, you're, you've, you're doing Star Wars, you're doing Knives Out too. Right. Uh, can you? 
record a line for this for this thing for double threat and he's like oh yeah send it over send it over so i send so it over cool i send nice. it over uh i get an email and i'm i'm feeling pretty good because i was like i did i'm a now i got some you know i'm always trying to get yeah. cred over there yeah. you know always trying to do stuff to get some credibility with those two uh, those two sure. ta- taskmasters um and so i'm like here we go i got a home run i'm gonna go over and of course then i'm gonna milk it a little bit i'm gonna tell him i had to like convince him to do it you know and it was like hard <laughs> and he didn't want to do it and i told him you know man you know. the lies continue so I had it all in place. I'm going to really milk this thing. But then oh, he yeah, writes yeah. me back. He writes me back uh, like a two-paragraph email. It was Ryan Johnson, right? Cool, and I'm cool. the producer of Double Threat. He, got, he, he owes me nothing, right? In a previous generation, this guy would have been like, get away from me, you fucking you dirt, you're dirt, you know? But Ryan Johnson is new, new, new Hollywood, baby. Nice Hollywood. Yeah. Le, like LeBron James is to the What LeBron James did to the NBA, that's the Ryan Johnson wow. Hollywood. Nice guy. Nice. nice we're living in a nice town now. Nice and talented. Uh, he writes me back two paragraphs. And he says, "Look, I really want to do this. It's really funny, um, but it's kind of critical of Tenet. It was. It was just all making fun of Tenet." And he's okay. like, "He's like, I'm. He's like, I know. I know this sounds like a weird brag, but I'm like legitimately like good friends with Christopher Nolan." <laughs> He's like, I can't. He's like, I just can't do it. And Chris Nolan will not find this funny. Yeah, yeah, no, right, yeah. Right, he's right. like, I can't. It's a humorless. Because yeah, Christopher Nolan at that point was so pissed that people weren't going to the theaters. Are you gonna remember to see? Tenet. He was right. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Don't, he was right. Don't kill yourself to see Tenet, please. He was right. He was. He was one hundred percent wrong. He was like, no. He was right. Wrong. He was standing up for what was actually right. History. History will come down favorably. I'm, I'm interrupting your anecdote. We'll talk about Chris Nolan in a second. So Joe's arguing that we all should have risked our lives to go see Tenet in IMAX. One, he was also mad about how HBO he called took, HBO Max the worst stream. Okay, that hold, ended hold up being on. right, but yeah, only yeah. after it got oh, taken over. Only after time and, and and history. At the time, so, it was the best streamer. Okay, go ahead. Hold on. What happened? Wait, first of all, I'm so sorry. I love this anecdote. Right, it's the coolest so, thing ever. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, Ryan yeah. Johnson sent back this like two paragraph email. This is the email that like I would send to like Ryan Johnson's assistant <laughs> to to like, like apologize because apologize yeah, yeah. I sent him the wrong Zoom link. He's sending this to me. To apologize for not recording a line for this thing that we didn't get to during the podcast that he was That's on so that, he, nice. that I wanted him to do later on in his in his personal life, and he said, and he was he was like, yeah, like I know I really am not trying to see. I was like, seem seem just literally write fuck off. I'm friends with Chris Nolan, uh, but he didn't. He wrote this very nice email. It's really cool. Um, uh, and look, that shit. Look. Everybody should just be fucking human about everything and this and that. But we know how Hollywood is. Everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to big time everybody else. Everyone wants to, you know, do this and that and uh, kick down, like Aww. kiss up, kick down. What you don't think that's true? Well, not, uh, no, it just makes me sad. It, yeah, it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs. I'm saying Ryan Johnson is he, he's a truly nice guy. Ryan, just a normal Pat, guy. Pat, Pat Oswalt, Martin Short, on time, nice and talented. on time, nice and talented, on time, nice and talented. Um, and also, Blank Check's a great podcast. Uh, should come to Forever Dog, and I don't poach podcasts because that's Bush League horseshit. Come to Forever Dog, Blank Check. We'll treat you like fucking kings, baby. Guys, if you want to come, if you want to do your your shit for real, leave the most successful leave movie podcast ever alone. Enough, uh, enough, uh, uh, serious XM buying everything. I Heart Radio buying everything. We got a studio. Yeah. We don't report to nobody. No, you can come here and do whatever the it's fuck. It's actually you want, true, and we'll make it happen for you. All right. Yeah. I'd Come love fight that. the good fight. I love at that. Forever Dog. It's a great fucking podcast. Sorry, but yeah. Long story short, Christopher Nolan was mad because Warner Brothers went back on all the contracts that they already made, and they said we're going to put out your films 
on HBO Max the same day as the theatrical release, which was which set everybody a, t- a, a titter because that was not cool. Also, movies you know make money when they go in the movie theaters. Also, going to the movie theaters is a one of the most essential um, artistic experiences that everybody can get to do every single week. It's just the best thing in the world. It's the best, and you know I, I think yeah, and you know how you get people there. You make the good movies, like we were saying. You don't always uh, preach at me about how I don't need fucking cinema paradiso preached to me every week. Okay, what, what is he talking? I what get is, it. What's Brett talking about? Make the good movies. I'll go see him in the good theaters. Okay, hold on now, because by the way, Tenet. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Bring, bring, bring. Wait, hold on a second. It's yeah. Da, 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 da. Tenet is a good movie. What are you talking about? Tenet is a great movie. Tenet has what I like to call chutzpah. And and Tenet has so many set pieces that are tremendous. Who but like thank everyone thank your lucky stars. Tenet has Chris Nolan got the money to pay for an airplane to drive into an airport. God bless you. That was real. That is amazing stuff. He gets money to do incredible things. You're telling me that beginning opening gigantic set piece in the opera house isn't thrilling. It's Chris Nolan with a budge budge um, with some great performances. It's a weird movie. It doesn't care that you don't get it, you fucking losers. Not getting it isn't an essential part of uh, an artistic experience. Tenet is all feel, baby. Rob Pattinson, John Washington. It's just money, it's just money on the screen. It's, it is not money just on money screen. on the screen. Joe, much you like his- You could never uh, be more wrong in your life. Brett, much much like his his young son, Joe Joe Enzo. loves a, a shiny a shiny thing, no, bro. a distraction, a no. toy, a, oh, bo- a bobble. Uh, you gonna call that a distraction in a bobble? I call that chutzpah. And who, who, I need to he, think and to he, feel. Chris, and that movie did neither for me. Well, okay? you're not maybe, maybe, you're not you're not really you know maybe maybe you weren't. Did you see it in the movie theater or did you watch it on HBO? Max. Watch on HBO Max. Well, that's why. I couldn't understand a goddamn word. Well, why don't you go see it in effing IMAX in the gosh darn movie theaters? I didn't realize every character was played by Bane. But it, it, it is a, it is a, it, some, look, when you see a Chris Nolan movie, what did you want? What did you, you want a Chris Nolan movie? Chris Nolan gave you Chris Nolan in spades and Tenet. That's fine. And that is a, that is fun. I like when artists are fine. able to do what they want to do in spades. Yeah, do you We're think? lucky to have do you think? I'm not interested. And we're lucky to have Tenet. And he was right because the streamers, if they had their druthers and Hollywood and the Chris Nolans and the other Republicans didn't put, just kidding, they didn't push back against, he's a Republican. He's a yeah, Trump guy. He he's a be. fucking Trump guy. He has to be. If Nolan and the other Trump guys that are agents didn't push back against HBO Max, for all we know, now it's nice because, oh, now we're going to go to the movies. Oh, we're going to see. What's everyone seeing now? He definitely. Oh, hit we're going to go see Top Gun Maverick. All that nonsense. If it wasn't for the uh, like Tom Cruise, definitely the, hit a new tax bracket with Tenet, and then it was. Uh, then it was. Then then suddenly, if it wasn't for these psychopaths fighting for the art form, we might be subjected to just like the death of the movie theaters. And luckily, there are some creators out there with power, not just and these wonderful small creators, but also these wonderful big creators like the Tom Cruises and the Christopher Nolans and the Martin Scorseses at all that fucking care about this shit. I care about this shit. We should go to the movies. It is important. We shouldn't just have it on streaming because it's fun just wait 60 days and then it's on streaming i love streaming i didn't have an opportunity to see elvis in the movie theater and then one day i opened up oh my hbo max oh there's elvis oh yeah and i watched it and it was elvis great. Is so good we need to do an yeah, elvis, elvis is fun elvis. elvis is fun you know what we should do we should do yeah. elvis versus like viva las vegas that'd be like so old, fun that's a great we should we need to do that anyway i am uh pro movie theaters great. of course you are too brett i'm not saying you're not but like i'm also pro tenant 100 pro movie of, theaters. of course you are my most formative experiences in my life. We, we have to, we have to, we have to just say sorry, Chris Nolan. You were right. And look, during quarantine, of course, it was fun that I got to watch whatever horseshit came out on my TV the same day. I didn't want to go to the movie theaters and die of COVID. Of course not. But uh, Tenet, but I did, and, and Tenet, Tenet was fun. Chris Nolan was only right 
in terms of his own bottom line. That that whole argument was just mm. literally uh was literally could have just Cares. been a, a, a fucking letter written by Cares. his accountant. It was just it was just no. his own. It, the fact that he sort of spun it as about the magic Wait, of think, cinema like, on this. And look, I don't you care. Think Chris Nolan doesn't care about the magic of cinema. Watch out for your own. But I'm saying that's not what that argument was about. That argument was fundamentally about don't fuck with my bottom line. It's both, Brett. Like Patton was saying, you, it, it's always both. It's always both. It's money and art. Yeah, but I'm not getting... Here's my point, though. I'm not getting enough of the other side of things. Maybe Oppenheimer will change that. I don't know. No, you know what? Too you many, know what? There's you know too what? many people there. You know, you know what? Don't see it. If Chris Nolan was here, he'd say, don't see it, Brett. You're not allowed to... You're not, you can't see Oppenheimer. See, that's what I hate. It's all, it's all it. this... It's all this... He's so... Uh, this, he doesn't even let... He doesn't, he, 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 you know what? Christopher Nolan, he won't even let his friends... He won't even let his friends act in satirical radio plays about him, okay? I have proof of <laughs> no, this. No, no. Look, Chris, I have Chris Nolan is a have, certified psychopath. I, a, I don't need my artists paper trail. to be fucking cool guys. I mean, I'm happy when they are, when they're Mark I have a Short paper trail. Oswald. I feel like I'm going to get a red... I feel like somebody's going to snipe me from the balcony right now, like in Tenant. Uh, I Great movie. Won't even let his friends participate in a satirical radio play. Laugh at yourself, baby. Ima- imagine the executives at, at Warner Brothers getting Tenet and then emailing him back like, yo, like this makes no sense. It doesn't work at all and I can't understand it. And, you bl- and him just emailing back, fuck you. That's awesome. So what do you think of Cook Thief Wife and Love? I want to hit one last oh, tangent. Yeah, yeah. One uh, last tangent. I literally have had it on you, the sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. observant. Observant uh, viewers will see have seen this on my uh, uh, laptop screen this whole time. If you're watching on Forever Dog Plus, thank you. I ain't clipping this for social. Forever Dog Plus. I realize, you know, I realize a mistake I've been making so many times. I'll say like, you only see this on Forever Dog Plus, and I clip it for social. No more. <laughs> if wow. I refer to something as Forever Dog Plus exclusive, Ooh. you ain't seen it on Twitter, you ain't seen it on Instagram, you ain't seen it on TikTok. You're only gonna see it on the Plus. It's five bucks. Okay, it's five bucks. We ain't Christopher Nolan whining about. Oh, I only got six billion instead of seven billion for Tenet. All right, five dollars to keep the lights on here. If you like what we're doing, we're gonna keep doing more of it. Some Chris big Nolan announcements coming your way me. too. Oh yeah. Some big announcements coming your way. Forever Dog is here yeah. to fucking stay, baby. Yeah, I'm I'm so sick and tired of of not fucking shit up twenty four seven. I fucking live for this shit lost in a thread. good way. Lost the thread. What I was going to say was I had, similar to the Sexy Beast revelation, yeah. last week, uh, I didn't say this during the podcast because I did one two weeks ago. I keep making that mistake. I didn't say this during the podcast because I didn't want to get us off track, uh, too off track, but um, Jenny Livingston, who directed Paris is Burning, yeah. uh, which I assume, what would you vote for in that? In that? Oh my God, Paris is Burning. Paris is Burning is one, one of the, the top five movies we've watched on this podcast absolutely. so far. One Absolute. of the greatest documentaries of all time, the if best. not the greatest. Come yeah. on. Incredible. And I told you about the Doreen Corey story about how yeah. she killed a guy in so self-defense cool. and had him yeah, mummified while she's doing the, you know, if you shoot a rocket and it goes real high, hooray for you that's, speech. That's a film. That's a fucking. That's a film. That's a fucking film. Jenny Livingston uh, was the niece of uh, famous Hollywood director Alan J. Pakula. Um and and kind of interned under him. Um and look, we we talked about this two weeks ago. Jane Livingston got some mm. got uh, the one major criticism of Paris is Burning is that uh, is it sort of white gazy Jane Livingston, a gay woman but a white gay woman, and kind of came into the scene as a bit of a tourist. Um, mm. uh, but you know, there's a, a Bell Hooks article about uh, that, that that's critical of it in from that perspective. But uh, however you feel about that, some interesting points on both sides. But she she uh. 
definitely like worked her ass off to get that movie made. Um, she wasn't, even though she was Pakula's niece, she had to like piece together money from all over the place. It took seven years to make because she kept running out of funding. But she did like kind of intern under Pakula on some of his sets. So I was like quickly going over and looking at Pakula's filmography. And I was immediately like, holy shit, is this guy my favorite director? I think oh, wait, this guy might be my favorite rattle director. Rattle it off. All right. The, because I, I, it's the thing where like you know he directed all these films, but then something about seeing them side by side, you're like, oh, 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 oh. Oh my God! Damn! All right, rip, rip, rip me off the filmography. Starting with the so-called paranoia trilogy in the seventies, Clute, the Parallax View, mm-hmm. All the President's Men. Those are the those, boom, okay. boom, honestly, boom. just right. Fucking dead killers. Come on, those movies are perfect. Yeah, Clute is insane. There's no all three of them. Clute are is so good. They're all great. They're all amazing. Clute was the one I came Dude. to last and blew me away, maybe the most because I had no expectations for uh, it. Right. Uh, but they're all three perfect. Parallax View might be my favorite, but then you rewatch All the President's Men, and you realize, like, you, you, like, because you want you want to be cool and you want to say Parallax no, View, and then you rewatch All the President's Men, and you're like, this movie is fucking perfect. All and the it is not. Is it is not just some like simple movie. It is how they, you do that kind of movie. Oh my god! Can you imagine getting because if somebody movie. gets the somebody gets the job now, you're gonna do a Watergate movie. You're gonna do the you're gonna do the Woodward oh, and, and Bernstein it's behind be the scenes. Horrendous. It's gonna be so. It's gonna be so sort of action. It's gonna be awful. It's gonna be fucking. What's that horrible Netflix film? The trial. The trial of the the Chicago. It's gonna be that. Oh my god. You're gonna do that. Yeah. yeah, Post is fine. Whatever. It's gonna be the post. It's gonna be. It's gonna be one Jay Roach film. It's gonna be like. It's gonna. They're gonna try to film it as like a thriller, or they're gonna try to film it as sort of a big, funny, meta, big, short comedy thing. Oh right. right. Two two roads you do not want to go down. Okay. What you do is what Alan J. Pakula did, which is just you film it like a fucking. It's a simple cinema verite documentary style. So fucking simple. Long shots, baby. So long. Let the actors work. Oh. You got Hoffman and, and Redford at the, at the fucking oh. uh, peak of their abilities. Let them work. So Let cool. them work. Give this, them a long shot. Don't the, cut. The scene, there's a scene when the writers, like the editors are all sitting around the table and he just kind of films it. And it's quite a long scene of them just talking about what they're going to put in the paper that day. <sighs> and it is as like arresting as... Any of the you know any great chase scene? And you got Jason in, in Robards as a as Ben Bradley, right? I mean the the it, like it, it, the, that movie's amazing. Anyway, oh I'm so God. sorry. So keep going with the no, no. already. If that okay. if you made those three films, you're already Here's you can die. Though. You can die happy. I give you two kickers. Yeah, I give you two kickers. One is a film. One is how he died. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. 1982. So he's like, what else is he? He's doing. I mean, he's like, you know, he's 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 bouncing around. He's doing stuff. Um, God bless. Uh, uh. 1982, though. So he does the Paranoia Trilogy in the uh, 70s. 1982, Sophie's fucking choice. Come on. Come on. Another movie that is like all yeah, the President's yeah. Men style. Right. It's like, it's like, I think maybe more than any other movie, that movie has had the that unfair trajectory of getting associated with like a little gimmicky thing, yep. a, the, a.k.a. the Sophie's Choice. And everybody's right. like, oh, this is such a Sophie's Choice. That movie is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Fucking phenomenal. And the Sophie's Choice thing is like, a very Quick. brief flashback to sort of that like sort of like like buttons this long fucking character arc and relationship that you kind of have been trying to like decode and then you get sort of the key to decode it at the very end but like god that i mean the relationship with Kevin Klein and oh my god and and Meryl is you know i mean is Great movie. Phenomenal. I mean, it's never, I don't think there's a better performance on film than Meryl in that movie. She's so good. She's so good. Uh, And this is from a Meryl skeptic, a 21st century Meryl skeptic. That would be a good 21st century. It doesn't quite fit, does it? 21st century Meryl skeptic. Well, you're you're the king of fitting in words into songs, so you tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Hear that? 
We're dude, gonna, we're dude gonna, you're so good at that. We're gonna uh, we're gonna put it in print so you can't hear the tone of his voice. Yeah, and dude, it's just gonna be a quote, literal my face. Quote. Dude, you're so good at that. So uh oh, and then the final thing, Pakula, how yeah, he died. Yeah, how'd he die? On the Long Island Expressway, baby, car accident. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a cool way to it's die. Not a, it's not a cool That's way. That's a it's, sad story. It's very That's a tragedy. It's very you sad. pitch that like you were gonna sad. say like yeah, died, you know. Like Godard. Godard, Godard fucking died. Don't, guys. Died. Assisted suicide because he was tired. He wasn't sick. He well, didn't have a disease. Well, I love it. He's, he's 92. He's 91. He's 91. done it all. He's like, I made a million films. I made 50 films. The the number of retiring filmmakers. He's like, makes. someone else can eat this lunch. I'm done. He's like, just, no, that's the best. That's Don't Brett. I don't want to get into this right now, but I will. I'm, so sorry. I'm reading how, I'm reading the logistics of how he died. It's so sad. I'm so sorry. I don't know why. I just. Yeah, what was up with that part when you. Laughed about um. I didn't laugh about you it. You were cracked. No, you weren't. But I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll take the shot. I'll, I'll save you by Look, just. Here's saying, the thing. Life is tragic. Assisted okay? suicide Life should is be dark... an option for people in America. Oh, 100 percent. Hundred percent. It's just. It I was should be an Pakula, option. I, I know, but I'm trying to make My sure. My point was, know, we move life on. is a dark tragedy. Not mine. Mine's, mine's full great. of unexpected uh, horrors. Okay. And I. I just I celebrate the life of Alan J. Pakula, and I don't I don't celebrate. Are you sure you don't ridicule it? Um, anyway, it's mentioned in the movie L. I. E. with Paul Dano and uh, Brian oh. Cox. Um, uh, like, don't talk to really? me about Logan Roy. Talk to me about fucking uh, Hurdy Gurdy Man. Talk and, to me about fucking Coriolanus. I. Uh, it's uh, talk to me about fucking uh, Hannibal or Manhunter. Manhunter. Oh yeah. Um, playing Hannibal. Uh, the original Hannibal. Um, also, speaking of Succession. Yeah. Industry season two on HBO. Nobody's talking about it. It's the best show on television. Good for you, it's Brett. It's the real succession. Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey. They are the kings. They are leading the industry charge here. Hey, and I've been inspired. Hey, uh, you, you want a succession that's less white and less hammy? Great news. It's on HBO Max right now. There's two seasons of it. It's called Industry. Imagine criticizing succession. I just, Imagine. I just need to correct. Uh, it's a little, no, in, I always need to course good. correct the universe when things get a little out of hand. Okay? You do always need to and do we're that. A little, <laughs> we're a little, let's admit, we're a little out of hand on succession. I don't know if that's true. We're a Brad. little out of hand on I succession. I actually don't know if that's true. I actually don't know Look if that's Brian, true. Look at Brian Cox thinks we're out of hand. Thank Brian you. Cox, thank, thank, Brian, Brian Cox thinks we're Brian, out of hand. Brian, can you stand up for, like, I can't believe, only, like, this is nonsense. Did you see Brian Cox's face when he was on stage at the Emmys? He was saying his face said it all. His face he said, said industry season two a little, is better. We're getting a little out of hand with you're this. You're wrong, bro. We're getting a little out of hand with this. His face said I'd rather I be home you. right now watching industry you're season wrong. two. You're wrong. So fucking good. Industry season two is good. Succession, obviously, the best television has to offer, except maybe better call. You song. know what? I'm reversing. Don't watch industry season two. I love having a fucking thing all to myself that nobody's talking about. <laughs> don't watch industry season two. Literally nobody's talking about this show, and I don't understand why. We are. We are right now. Well. So what did you think of the cook, the thief, the <laughs> uh, his wife and her lover? What did you think about it? This was transformative for you. You this texted movie, me. This movie is absolutely dynamite. This movie has uh, balls. This movie it has chutzpah. This movie is created by an artist and this movie is an actual visceral experience i haven't been punched in the fucking gut watching a movie in a while you watch a lot of movies and you get kind of 
Um, I don't know. Not, 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 some are amazing, some are whatever. But man, I can't remember the last time I had to like take a second at the end of a film because I had just been through one. I love this. This movie is ins- well. First of all, uh, very quick. I won't even do sixty seconds. I just I'll do it quick. Like what? What the fuck yeah. are we talking about? Cook the Thief, yeah. his wife and her lover came out in nineteen eighty nine. Written and directed by the Welsh auteur Peter Greenaway. Uh, let's not let's not generalize that to British auteur. Welsh auteur, T-Y. baby. Uh, the land of Richard Burton, Rob Brydon, and Tom Jones. You know Wales and Peter Greenaway. Um, uh, at this point, Peter. I mean, Peter. This this might be the. It's Greenaway's most ac- accessible film to that point. That's a sliding subjective scale, but his most accessible accessible film to this point. Um, but still, this is probably the hardest art film we've seen on this on this podcast. I would think maybe. I mean, John Dielman, Eraserhead. But this is like it's arty. Yeah. And only because it's his most accessible movie. Like his previous movies up to this point are just are just pure art films, experimental yeah. art films. Uh, I, I really like them. Um, I, I hear I understand Patton's, you know, and I can't I, I'm also not going to like claim that I like sit there and pour over them. Uh, they are as being like real hard art experimental films. They do tend to be a little hard to get all the way through. Uh, but goddamn, they are they are just gorgeous. They are all like, oh my ex- God. like exquisite. They are just like the work of a fucking master. Because he's a, he's a he's a painter. Greenway studies with Renaissance a painter, painting. and like these movies are what Renaissance paintings look like. They look like Renaissance paintings. They have that obsession with with uh, kind of order and structure and composition, um, real deep colors. Um, this the uh, Cook the Thief and his wife and her lover is more kind of based in Baroque art, uh, specifically like Flemish Baroque art. You see that big painting that's in the restaurant that they're all dressed like in the beginning. Oh my God, um, But that sort of Renaissance Baroque style, uh, he, he, he oscillates between in his movies. But they are just, you, you will not find any more just I- I- exquisite, uh, artists touch in the look of a movie than in a P- Peter Greenway movie. They're hard to find, uh, they are. but go find them because they are worth watching. Uh, the uh, There's a couple before this one, uh, The Draftsman's Contract. The Draftsman's Contract is like, there's a plot to it. It's yeah. like, it's... But it's, it's much softer and mellower than this film, yes. which is like, getting punched in the face did you watch it uh, yeah because i went to the store and i had to watch oh it. oh my yeah. god joe is because i because I, 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 I absolutely am and i watched the eisenstein film as well no way if you want to watch the famous russian filmmaker sergey eisenstein have sex in south america check out uh that film which i forget the last it's but a green you can movie. find that yeah it's really good it's, uh, it's way funner it's weirder it's not like this but yeah i'm i'm, I'm totally in i'm all in on greenaway folks. this is exciting I've been, I've been just gorging on him because i need a little bit of this yes. in my life yeah i need i think we all need to just take our fucking medicine we've all been sitting on take our fucking medicine. ass take your fucking watching medicine. you know brett bohm's hbo max and just been just being like oh Industry here comes my two. slop here comes my slop oh good some slop Thanks, Sloppy. And ever since Godard died, I've been just like a, a wreck thinking to myself. And you know what? Because there is the energy. We were talking about it with Patton. There seems to be just a little tiny energy. It seemed dead during quarantine, but now there seems to be good films bubbling up. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. the festivals yeah. seem to have exciting projects. And like, uh, not Don't Worry Darling, like actually exciting projects yes. where some real filmmakers, there seems to be some real like confident, exciting there's energy. There's, uh, energy there's a the real air. energy in the air and I am just gobbling it up. And before I just gorge myself on what's new, I just have to go back and gorge myself on what's old and see some of these uh, masters at work. So Brett, thank you for showing me Cook Thief. I had never seen it before. In fact, I had never seen any Greenaway films before, but not all, I mean, of the three that I, four that I watched, 
this is the cook of the thief. Here's the, Bur- here's the, the Bergman's one, challenge. Guys. Here's the Bergman's challenge. Take a week of your life. Watch two to four Peter Greenaway movies. Yeah. Then like restart your life. See no, what you, happens. You need, See a, what happens. You, you need a reset. And this has just unlocked me. You know, it's just like See what re- it does to your mindset. It's like reading, you know, or it's like working out. You know where it's like I work out every single day and then you stop for one day and then a year goes by and you haven't worked out or you're like in a reading mode and every single day like you're reading a book like you're reading books you can't like you have books as part of your life and then you just like take a work gets busy and then you like lose books and they slip through your fingers for whatever reason I mean despite watching all sorts of films or whatever I had lost some sort of like connection to I mean projects art for art's sake for some reason I had art lost my like I had lost sake. my appetite. It was almost like eating vegetables. But ever since good, good you know right around I don't know maybe doing the podcast the past couple of weeks or months I just like there's there's nothing too pretentious for me. Like I need it. I need it injected yep. in my yep. veins. Yep. I pretend, Let's get pretentious pre- pre- baby. Get pretentious. Let's get pretentious but, oh, baby. I don't want my 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 arty filmmakers to be pretentious. Like what are you talking about? And I look, just there'll wanna, be little yeah. missteps here and there like you'll you'll watch a Peter Greenier movie, you'll drive, you know, you'll be out driving, you'll be like, "Ooh, Starbucks." But don't push through that. <laughs> Push through that, okay? Because you're going to find a higher level of like the road to which pretentiousness leads is is oh. is is a fucking wonderland. It's amazing of just sublime experiences, and you can come back. You can always come back, baby. The low low culture is always here. There's so it's, much, and there's, there's so and, 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 much, there's so much of it, and it's great. But these yeah. are we're talking about rarer experiences that are harder oh. to find, that deserve that 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 require work. They require work. One of the one of the tenets of the sublime, and when and the, these old the old uh, you know philosophy of aesthetics, the tenet of the sublime was that it's hard. It's hard work to experience the sublime. We need to we need that mentality more. That we want to we want experiences that require some work because the work is worth it. Yeah, man. And watching getting through some Greenaway movies. Oh, Oh man, you are. You'll, you'll be right back on track. And look, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. No, maybe Greenway's not your guy. But start with Greenway. Fine. Do a Greenway week. This is the this is all we're asking. One week of your life. Yeah. Do a Greenway week. Three movies. And then three you, movies. You know, we're doing Husbands next week. There's one with, there's oh. one with you and McGregor where he's fucking naked half the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the, the one we're about. Book. Do that. Do that one. There's also one where Brian Dennehy's fucking naked half the movie. Yeah. Do that. There's one. The, do whatever. Or whatever you're looking for. Helen Mirren in this one. The the, the nudity is so essential yeah. and so important, okay, to the Greenaway experience. Or I Adam love it. It's so artful. He's yeah. a literal painter. Yeah. Anyway, I am so in on on um not just pretension. I'm being a little silly, but like truly art for art's sake. And and we don't have a better word for it because the, right. because the society is so against it. They only have uh, pejorative terms for it. There's right, like no right. good. There's no there's no like positive term for wanting to like experience like the sublime. Getting lost. Like Godard <laughs> all, talked about getting yeah, lost. It's so in looked film. down upon. Just like getting lost in a movie. Not like being for twenty minutes. Like Brett, I know you can't like handle Tenet, but like for twenty minutes being like. Why, why are you bringing Tenet into this? Tenet's nah, not welcome in this conversation. But, uh, but I ate McDonald's two days in a row, and I watched a Peter Greenaway movie. You can have it all, yeah, people, you but can, do you, a Greenaway can, week. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Anyway. Uh, so two big things in this movie that really work for me, and then I do want to give you some criticisms of this movie. Um, some, I, some, can't, some I will defend problems. this movie right. pretty hard because uh, really, I, I loved it. I, uh, I love it. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, though. Um, but two big things that stood out to me, obviously, like we talked about, the aesthetics, uh, the production design, the camera work. It's a it truly uh, unlike any movie you've seen. Uh, it really it makes no bones about like using sets that that look theatrical it looks like you're watching a play uh the way the these big wide 
compositions yes. with lots of detail, deep focus. You see all the way to the back of them, whether it's the the kitchen and every everything is sort of done in a slightly experimental way. So the kitchen in quotes, which is this big, almost sort of a warehouse theater space. It would remind like, you of like a Worcester Group project at BAM, like scaffolding, um, just um, ma massive hear that? Pretentious scaffolding is back, set. baby. Yeah, look, look, I, I did the bit for a while where it's like, I'm the guy who likes the dumb movies, and Brett's the guy who likes the smart. Joe's so I'm much more pretentious than me. I, fine, here we go, fuckers. So much more pretentious I'll just start talking about the Worcester Group if you want, and BAM. But these are um, these are the the gorgeous like barren scaffolding. And Brett, you're so right. It, almost for a second there, you're like, is this the kitchen? When the movie first yes. begins, yeah. you're like, is this a warehouse? Is this like a kitchen? Um, the uh, Brett, excuse me. Go ahead. Well, um, well, yeah. we we skipped your thirty second. You're going to do a thirty second. No, just a real thirty seconder. Give us a thirty seconder. Um, just and more like a teaser. Don't spoil anything. Because okay, okay, I want okay. people to go watch this movie. This awesome. I'm not going to spoil anything either. Go ahead. A really vicious thief. Um, Ha owns a restaurant with a with a he's partnered with like a excellent French chef, but he is this like tyrant's tyrant. He is a cruel mother effer. The movie starts with him pissing on a guy and covering him in shit and having dogs eat him. He's a bad guy. He's a scoundrel, and he owns this big, um, uh, gorgeous French restaurant. And the camera will pan, sort of between three sets basically um uh, well sort of four there's like an outside set of with the street where it looks almost like tim burton's batman returns with like the green garish lighting neon just a garish lighting. neon and then it will pan into this uh french uh kitchen warehouse with all of its like accoutrement and it's all of its pans and, and, and all the food um amazing and then it will pan into the big red restaurant which would remind you of the restaurant in ratatouille big french fancy restaurant and then also it can pan into the bathroom and each is um and the camera just is happy to sit all the way back and give you big wide frames like a gigantic dutch renaissance um, painting he will frame all of his characters meticulously the blocking is just meticulous the framing is meticulous and artistic but it never feels forced to be pretentious to continue my theme like when i saw labette with mark rylance Though it was rhyming couplet, you would think that Rylance was just speaking English. Because <laughs> this dude's pretentious as fuck. You hear that? Oh man, picking Jean, picking Die Hard over Jean Delman was the worst decision of my entire. You were life. Look, the only movie I think about is Jean Delman. It's the only movie I it give was a shit early about. in the run. It's my favorite we were, movie. We were figuring out. It's our, my favorite movie. You know what we were trying to? We, we it's were the best doing, movie I've ever we were, seen. We were trying to figure out personas for ourselves, right, and then sure. we realized we, like, just, we just, just be ourselves. Is it funny? That was Persona it? Joe. Uh, anyway, speaking of another movie, we'll do it. Someplace. So that anyway, was Persona there Joe. There seems though there's incredible form. Uh, Greenaway finds incredible freedom in the form and you never feel like, oh, it's a Wes Anderson movie like, deca, 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 deca. oh, I'm watching a little picture box. It's it's 10 times more artful than that because you don't even see it for a second unless you unless you uh, want to how everybody is composed like the in these in these beautiful, beautiful portraitures and through this like very rigid structure. Um, the, the actors find incredible freedom. Gambon's performance. Gambon. Gambon. Gam Gambon. Right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, you were doing a 30 second. Oh, 30 second I didn't summary. want to give it. Oh, anyway, then okay. Helen Mirren plays the thief's wife. And then there's this customer who comes to the restaurant and he's uh, he uh, loves intelligent. To read. He loves to read. He sits there. He makes eyes at Helen Mirren and they start having an affair under the nose of the thief in the kitchen. Immediately. Um, silently. 
and they start having and, and the French chef will hide them in the you know pheasant hut and they can uh, bone to their heart's content and they have some of the um, best sex ever captured on cinema. guys this is it's because it, it's, it's it's art and you don't it, even it's really incredible you know what's great about it is you don't um it's not the director being like, yeah, now flip her over and I'll There's do this. No, nothing you don't lewd really about see. It. Yeah, you don't. They're naked the whole movie. You don't like really little glimpses of them actually having sex. But you you constantly see the effect that sex is having on them. And they are just like transformed by it. They are having some fucking wild, passionate, sublime sex in this movie. It's so cool. Um, it's not lewd. It's not like uh, they're naked, but like it feels like you're looking at, at, at a painting. It's it's beautiful. And I miss like nudity in film and, 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 and being artful. And, and I will say the, uh, the point, uh, equal, pr- pretty much equal opportunity nudity as well. Yeah, there, are, there, are, there are just as many dicks as there are tits in this movie. And they look great. Um, so the two big things that I think are, are just beyond great in this movie, the aesthetics like we talked about, you get these incredible sets, and then you get this, this really interesting camera work where the camera is sort of, it literally almost is like a play because the camera sort of runs on a track along the front of the uh, the front of the set. So it's almost like imagine you're watching a play with a, just a giant like synecdoche New York sized theater, and then the camera is on a track at, at like at the edge of the stage, just running back and forth. Um, so it's this very sort of like you know you're moving between these massive sets, sort of sliding between them. Um, and, uh, everything that Joe says, right about the aesthetics, I won't, I won't belabor the point. I do want to get into the other big thing in this movie, which is, which, which you already alluded to, which is Gambon's performance. Michael Gambon's performance is unreal in this movie. Um, it is, uh, of course coming out in 1989, this was pretty explicitly a satire of the, the, the Thatcher decade in, in England, this sort of just coarse capitalist sort of like everything getting swallowed by, uh, just sort of like gangster capitalism, right? Every the only now, like the only way to survive is to be a, a mean fucking like is to be is to be Michael Gambon in this movie to be this guy who is just like crass and coarse and insulting and and racist and judgmental. Uh, but he's got his hands on the fucking pocketbook, so he gets to he he had, having money allows you to treat people however you want because money is the only goal. Um, so it is this this you know ultimately I think. It transcends this, but it is definitely a really pointed satire of of um, 80s, the 80s in England, the Thatcher decade. That being said, with apologies to uh, our friend Anthony Atamanek, this is Michael Gambon's performance in this movie is the best Trump satire I've ever seen in my life. It is the best Trump ever without knowing that he's doing that, right? This is like that combination of someone who is so whose guiding principle is cruelty and humiliation, um, but who is himself very insecure and wants to be taken seriously culturally. And so Gambon, this movie is constantly like trying to like hang with the chef in terms of his knowledge of the food. And is constantly trying to like show off how much he knows about French cuisine, but he's always mispronouncing everything. And then he gets angry when he mispronounces it. And then like his, he wears his vulnerabilities like very openly, um, but then wears his sort of wields his cruelty sort of just as openly. Uh, but this is this, this is truly maybe the best the best Trump satire I, I've ever seen. It's almost it's almost like it's so good. I almost don't want to call it that because Trump's not worth it. Like it's such a good right. beyond performance. It makes it sound lame, but, but you're it may, right. But it is. Right. It's that's why I'm saying it's the best because it's beyond. It's that character. Uh, 
in um and, and I think he's I think what I'm saying too is like when you're doing in this era, like in Tamanic, you know, I know he struggled with this of like when you're actually doing a Trump satire, you are you're ultimately limited by the guy himself because he is just ultimately just a fucking buffoon. Um, but I think not knowing you're doing a Trump satire in the 80s, this character is that like at, at like and beyond that at the same time. So it is it, it's that it's that trope. It's that Trump sort of archetype. But it is at such an incredibly high level where the, the cruelty and the insecurity goes hand in hand and the like the the desire for validation by cultural elites at the same time that you have nothing but spite for those cultural elites is so incredible. And I mean, again, in this movie is is he is and Tim Roth is his sidekick who just like burps yeah. and belches and literally bites people's balls off. He's crazy <laughs> in this movie. Uh, this movie's wild. I don't know if we've, we've accurately awesome. uh, they are smearing shit on people. They are pissing on people. They are eating people. Oh, man, they the, are they're the, they, the, the yeah. death. Well, I don't want to give it away, but okay, okay. That's we won't say who is who and what is what. But there's a violent death that is so violent. Oh, God. It'll shake you more than like most horror films. And there like, actually this movie are a, shook me more than most horror films. It's it's scarier than most horror films. It is disgusting. It's definitely more gruesome than most horror films. It is and, and you know what the you know what you know, the, the ultimate sort of example of this is? I don't know what death Joe's talking about. I'm thinking of like <laughs> yeah, two or three okay, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um I think I know which one you're talking about, but we won't we will not give any spoilers because you, dear listener, you're gonna have a greenaway week, baby. You're gonna have a it's greenaway a week. You're gonna have a disgusting, beautiful rules. greenaway week. Okay. And here's the thing, too. If you don't like, um, uh, you know, it, it's not the movie's never gory. It's never gory. It's it is disgusting though. And if that gives you a little bit of pause, it's also such a beautiful movie that everything kind of works. And I was never, I never like turned away, and I, I never even like sort of like grimaced or like or got sort of like sick at anything. It's all, it's just. It, it it it's all done so Stunning. beautifully and so poetically. So don't if if you're someone it's who doesn't meticulous. like doesn't like sort of gross shit in movies, give this one a try. You're also like most of the real intense shit is later on. So you're kind of like you, you know, or if you don't like like an abusive man yelling for two and a half hours, like it is so yes. intense. It okay, is well that so is intense. where my my yeah. main critique comes in is that I think this is this is a a, a, a film where a a deeply, deeply artistic experimental director is starting to wade into narrative more and starting to wade into more like traditional narrative forms of like really, you know, of like kind of archetypal characters and there's a story and this and that. Um, I feel like that, I feel like it's that transition in this movie is a little awkward at times where he feels like he has committed early on to a kind of more traditional narrative structure uh, and more archetypal characters and then will feels like he's kind of inhibited by that at certain points. Um, and so I think my main criticism of this movie is the way the sort of narrative is is done is a little clunky at times. And particularly, it's like the, the movie could have, and this is insane to say about this kind of movie, but like it could have lost like 20 minutes. It could have <laughs> lost 20 minutes. And but I think one of the issues, though, yeah. is that Gambon, and where it could have lost it is like Gambon is so good. He's oh so God. good at like, at cruelty and uh, yelling and yeah. and like he's so good at yeah. being a um at just a disgusting man that I think I feel like Greenway just couldn't cut it. I feel like cuz that's that's where you could lose it is like there is there's a full stretch early on where Gammon's basically doing this just a different versions of the same speech over and over again early Absolutely. on and it's so good. I'll eat it up, I'll take it all. And it's always but good. 
you could have lost the point has been made as to who this person is without there being any coherent like or any like tangible um developments in the plot um and so it feels like a movie where like it took too much time in act one into act two and then had to speed up because at the end you have like plot point plot point plot point people die 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 the other reason i think it's like that though is because and this is i'm gonna rev- i'm gonna pull my pretentious card here um, the, uh, watching this movie, I was like, this really feels like, like a Jacobian drama, right? Like the post Shakespeare, like, um, well, it is right. Exactly. It's did, she's a whore. Exactly. I did not know that until I looked it up. I had, oh, yeah. yeah. But like early on, I was like, I was like, oh, this is like the Duchess of Malfi or like where, which, which has that structure of like, of like kind of a slow setup and then just like everybody gets tortured to death in the end like sequentially with like a great speech around <laughs> it. And so I was like, "Oh, this is just this is just yeah, this is just Jacobian drama." Yeah. Um and uh that sort of yeah, that dark post Shakespeare uh era. Um but it has that it has that drawback as well because uh Duchess Malfi is John Webster, right? Yeah. Yeah, John Webster and then uh Tis Pity She's a Whore is um who is that? That's somebody ben else. Benjamin. It's not Johnson. It's um uh, it's uh, John, John Ford. John uh, Ford, the uh, the great Western director who uh, lived uh, for five hundred years. Um, also <laughs> made t- t- uh, Weekend of Bergman's movie. Oh, John Ford the Vampire. Okay, we could the do same it. guy who did Tis Pace, She's a Whore also directed Stagecoach and The Strangers. That's right. Uh, the Stranger. Um, Illustrious. The Stranger. The Searchers. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's okay. We're almost done here. Um, but uh. It has that like Jacobian dramas always like sound a little cooler than they are oh, on the page. You said like, it, brother. They're not. They it, always sound cool. They're not they like yeah. You no. you hear about Duchess of Malfi. No, I know. you're like oh they're ripping people's tongues yeah, out and it's no, so violent stink. and there's backstabbing and there's court intrigue and all this. Like they're Shakespeare, hard they to get stink. through. No, unlike Shakespeare, they stink. They uh they they all like it's like it's like a it's like a bunch of people only they, they stopped at Titus Andronicus and then just went off and started writing their own plays. They didn't like stay for Hamlet and they're Lear tough. and Othello. They're, they're tough read. Um, so that's my, those, that, that was my big issue is that Greenaway, I, I like that he is dipping a toe into narrative. I just think he's not totally committed to it and his only, he literally like used, he had to use this play to speak as a whore as the template for a scream because he's like, how do I do plot? And he right. ch- happened to choose a Jacobian drama which I think was a misstep. I think there was, I think there could have been, without it not becoming a, Peter Greenaway film I think there could have been one or two more sort of uh, plot things going on that all converge then there's just not enough that converges in the final act and in the final climactic kind of sequences there's not enough plot that converges there's plenty of themes that converge there and it kind of is leaning on those there's not enough plot that converges it could have been a real explosive ending I think if it had a little bit more going on in the narrative that's my only criticism yeah. of the cook the thief his wife and her lover which i am also dressed we didn't go over this because we, we wanted to get into patent right away uh on forever dog plus we dress up every week as the movies i dress up like the art house film i am dressed up like all of the title characters i am yeah the cook i have on my cook outfit right uh i am uh dressed like the thief he always wore this red sash to see more fa- see more fancy because he saw it in the painting in his i love that they are it's a great movie that is a great see that's it's what I wanted season, a little bit more perfect. of was like was like he's you think he's like dressing you think it's some sort of artistic echoing of like 
they're they look like the painting and but it's like no this loser just like looked at the painting and was like oh that's what fancy people look like and then put this red sash on that is very funny to me so uh the cook the thief his wife duplicating a costume from two weeks ago sorry 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 uh and her lover is a big reader and i have my stack of books here including uh in advance (laughs) yeah great book yeah Check it out. Also got a Maplethorpe biography. There you go. Uh, all right. So uh, that's that's who I am. And Joe, you have. Uh, yeah. What are you doing? What's happening? Well, here? I'll tell you, Brett, I ordered my costume on Amazon uh, the other day and it did not arrive. So I had to improvise. Folks, I am a Remy the Rat, but unfortunately, you know, I have a sailor's cap on, a, uh, an elephant's nose, and a, and a car's three button. But I was able to gin up this cook's outfit. Uh, previously owned by Brad Luckinbill, um, whose name is on the on the coat. We had Pat Oswalt on this podcast. We had the voice of Remy the Rat on this podcast. Right. Joe shows up wearing an elephant nose. I had a child ten days ago. I or, uh, look, hey, you know what? Don't I play, ran interference with you. Me. I told Pat. I told Pat. Don't before, blame me. I saw him eyeing that elephant nose, being like, "What the fuck did I just?" Don't blame me. Into? Blame blame Amazon. This guy watched Dumbo. He watched Dumbo. He thought he watched Ratatouille. I ran interference for you and then gave you time to come up with that bullshit explanation about Amazon running late or whatever. Guess who never runs late? Mussolini and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> and Pat Oswald and Martin Short and Ryan Johnson. There you go. Okay, wait. So, but hold on now. So, Brett, I hear you about your narrative thing, except I just disagreed. That's all. In order Fair. for the brutality to just like land, I mean, and I'm not always this guy, but in this film, the constant, horrifying, Yep. abuse endured by Helen Mirren and his other um, uh, henchmen yeah. is 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 so draining. And by the way, this is why the satire is so cute and powerful because Thatcher, I know you're saying about the Trump impression, but as y'all know, uh, Thatcher and Reagan, they fancied themselves these like, you know, they were like they're strong or whatever, but they they weren't um, bombastic or they weren't like up and angry in your face like, a, like an angry villain. They had like a quote unquote, like a poise to them, the Iron Lady herself. So in order to like put that on the screen satirically, as powerfully and as acutely as possible, Gambone is giving 150% Gambone's crushing. Just of of disgusting anger. And it is that's why the, sat- the satire is like in basically no it's impossible to do because of the limitations Trump presents, like you said. And also because people aren't funny or smart anymore. But back, you know, but when Greenaway <laughs> Except Christopher Nolan, apparently. When Greenaway um, is uh, doing a satire, you know, by the way, this movie, by, there are so many funny lines that Gambon says about, you know, like so oysters good. and shit. Like, They're I so fucking get, like, funny. The quotes are like, it's very, very funny, but it's very, I mean, speaking very of scary. Sexy Beast, it is yeah. your classic British gangster 100 miles an hour patter. For hours. That is like a mix of insults and like British phrases and like weird little turns of phrase. I mean, it is just like, I mean, speaking of succession succession, like it's so it's like a show about American family, but it's written by a British guy. And it's like, has that it's only American show with that, like that, I guess veep, which is also by a British guy, but that like succession veep like that. It's that style of just like a hundred miles an hour insults, weird little antique turns of phrase. It's Mm -hmm. the best. It's so good. And just like body fucking gross humor. He's he's just put in this, like intricate, you know, um, music box of of a set, and Ooh. he is just set free with this um, 
like to call him a bull in a china shop is a complete and total understatement. But the satire is is powerful. Um, I, I don't I mean when, can anybody think of fucking some good satire we've seen recently? It's it's very hard to do, but this is very really hard. really it. Also, this movie is incredibly um, gorgeous. When you know the kitchen is red, to be simple about it, it's red. Oh, the the colors, bathroom the colors. is white, and the the the. Oh, sorry. the The dining room is red, and the kitchen is sort of gray, and then the bathroom is white, bright and, white. Um, Jean Paul Gaultier, whose name I'm going to fuck up, he did the costumes. He did the costumes. And when they walk from room to room, though they're wearing the same like outfit, um, the he changed like the color. Yeah. So when Helen yeah. Mirren, Helen Mirren's wearing the same white dress she does as she crosses over into the red room in the, that dress in red, and the effect on the film making of, yeah. of the of the color of the um is so like arresting it takes you by surprise and then you sort but it's not so like um a secret you kind of pick up on it and you kind of realize in the moment how um wonderful and inspired that choice is this movie has absolutely luscious gorgeous um food gorgeous colors gorgeous glasses and then it has some of the most rawest shit at one point in order to get excuse the spoiler, to get Helen Mirren and her lover um, out of the restaurant. They push them in a, a disgusting uh, pig corpse filled ambulance almost. And they Gambon sh- bought ass like, naked. Gambon bought right. like cheap meat and and poultry and seafood and um, and uh, the, the chef refused to use it and, and Gambon just left it in a truck in the in the parking lot and it was just in this like festering. hot truck like festering full of maggots and then the only way they could uh, the two lovers could escape his wrath was to hide in this truck as it's going out uh, and they're just in there and all the like all the just festering maggoty guts are just like slapping against their naked bodies but still shot with this but artistry gorgeous Dude, Brett I grabbed, gorgeous. I grabbed my nose yeah. as if I could smell it I was yeah. like oh fuck because yeah. in the acting so good um, the movie's on point and the, the ending lands at first when I saw the ending I was like eh. and then the scene sort of developed and I was like oh and then the movie ended and I, it's one of those ones where you stand up and then a minute later I was like oh god like I felt it in like my ribs and in my back like this movie rocked me yeah um and if speaking of the acting, if you don't know, we talked a lot about Gambon. If you don't know, like uh, pre Hollywood Helen Mirren, like like uh, uh, Royal Shakespeare Company British film era Helen Mirren, seventies eighties, you have a wealth of amazing performances to discover. Uh, she's so good in this. She's so fucking fearless and cool and oh. precise. Uh, also in the, uh, in the Long Good Friday, opposite Bob Hoskins, she was in Caligula. If you want to go back that far, um, I mean, just like like she, I mean, she was doing fucking work before before Hollywood came knocking. Where she still does great work. We love Helen Mirren. We love, but, but Brett is like she is my so, queen. So on point. Anyway, I can't say enough about the film. Um, the narrative drag was immaterial, and also very, it was very exciting. I'm happy happy to hear that counterpoint. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I I celebrate your counterpoint. Thanks, man. Um, now comes the time. Yeah. Now comes the time. Uh, Patton didn't officially vote, but he voted for Ratatouille. Well, obviously. All right. So that means we both have to vote for um, Ratatouille. <laughs> I no, we have both had to be honest, which is it's in no. the theme song. Talk about that. The theme song was a disaster. I think trying to do that basically sort of more or less acapella. I couldn't hear shit coming out of this laptop. It's all right. Do you think it isn't a Matters. disaster? Yeah, it's, I, very, it's very funny. I uh, You were not here for this, but two weeks ago, I can't believe I've not brought this up. Yeah. 
two major triumphs for me in the Big Dipper Meatball episode. And they were said with such conviction, I think they would have said it even if you were in the room. In fact, I know they would have said it even if you were in the room. What do they care? Number one, Meatball said that I was maybe the best singer at Forever Dog. And I know that does not acknowledge that there were some technical flaws with the performance. And all the actual singers and artists that uh, work at Forever Dog and at Mom. Meatball recognizes the workouts. Because I will say, though, Coming off of, because you remember you liked that one that I did. Sometimes you just have an energy, man. Right. You like that one. I was really riding that energy yeah. even harder into the yeah. uh, Meatball Big Dipper episode. Right. Um, Brian had some shit to say about it on social. Well, Brian's a good singer. Um, wait, well, maybe that's the reason why. Wait, Brian and you are wait are having fun on social media together without oh, me? Oh, um, I posted this clip where Meatball says that I'm the best singer at Forever Dog, okay. and Brian was disappointed with that. How about Julie Klausner? We saw her one woman show. It was amazing. She did fucking bat out of hell for like 12 minutes at the end. It fucking ruled, rocked my socks off. Yeah, but you can be happy for me that I got a good review. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, like, if. <laughs> yeah, like, but, surely. Yeah, yeah. I loved your movie. And you'd sit there and be like, well, it wasn't the fucking Irishman. Yeah, I mean, name, yeah, name right, a movie. Sorry. Name a mo- I mean, like, what, right, we're like, very uh, happy for you. You were an amazing singer at Forever Thank Dog. You. Thank You're you. one of the best. Top top fifteen. Remember that movie? Remember that movie where the alligator, the crocodiles getting it's like a storm and the crocodiles get in the house and they're they're swimming. I around love the crawl. Crawl's a great movie, right? I bet there's one person, one person out there who said, you know what? I think Crawl's the best movie of all time. I bet there's one person who said that. We know it's not, but still, would you come in and be like, would you if if a person right. was like, look, somebody said I, my movie Crawl's right. the best movie of all right. time. Right? Would you be like, no, it's not. Have you ever seen Carlos? No, it's fucking not. Um, I'm really sorry about that. You did a great job on the theme song, and I'm glad Meatball recognized that. I know I'm not the best singer forever, dog. <laughs> I know that. Uh, okay. I'm re- I, all right. Well, I, I didn't know you needed this so Le- Yeah, yeah, yeah right, well, I do. I, I didn't know. We haven't seen each other in a week. Leave me my illusions, okay? Meatball says you're the best forever. What else did, what else did they say about it? All right. The other thing is, yeah. and I mean, you saw this coming, but we did, we did your game. It was your idea. We did your um, costume challenge game where I ran through every. And Brian, I was fair. I wasn't, I wasn't choosing like, you know, I, was, I chose fair screenshots in which Joe was fairly represented. Is that true, Brian? Uh, for every. Thank you. Thank you. I even was trying to give you some pity points, to be honest, because it was a massacre. I was really trying to. I actually gave you a bonus point at one point for no apparent reason. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take it. Because they just really liked one of your looks. So Thank I said, you. Give a bonus point. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I got I demolished you. I mean, I lapped you twice. I oh, think. my Lord. Uh, so it was. Uh, so I've been crowned uh, as the better uh, costume costumed person. That's on, amazing. Uh, you need Bergman's. that. Thank you. I do. Um. So anyway, two big developments in that episode. Uh, but yeah. let's get to the let's get to the verdict. Um, I uh, this is man this this hurts worse than I thought it was gonna hurt. This one because I really one. do. Yeah, I really do love the cook the thief his wife and a lover. It's Come like on. it's truly a fucking one of those movies you guys. discover it and you're just like yes guys fuck fucking normies guys. Come on. Um, but I have to be honest. Um. I I do I stand by what I was saying about the the narrative. I I think there are some flaws in the cook the thief his wife and her lover as great and fucking just out there and incredible and gutsy as it is. Uh I honestly don't for what it is and for the type of movie it is, I don't think there are any flaws in Ratatouille. I think it's a perfect perfect uh animated movie. It is it is smart. Come on. In the way it needs to be smart. It is still, like Patton said, it is still entertaining as hell. Chase scenes, this and that. It moves. 
Like I would literally give throw away all the screenwriting books, just read Ratatouille. Ratatouille is literally a perfect screenplay. It is Absolutely. a perfect fucking screenplay. It does everything a screenplay should do. It's awesome. Without it recognizes the inherent limitations of a movie, aka time. That's your number one limitation. You don't have a lot of time. But within that uh, limitation, it does so much, but not too much. It has a perfect proportion of how much sort of character work to do, how much plot you can fit in without ever seeming uh, it never. So it never drags and it never seems overloaded. It is just a flawlessly written and executed movie. Um, and uh, I, I think it's I, I think it is is almost not even close. My favorite Pixar movie. Um, I. It's really good. I respect Wally a lot. I, I like, like what Wally, Wally was doing. I love, uh, I love Toy Story. The second, you know, the second half of Wally, though, once again, the spaceship is a little, eh. Uh, okay. Ratatouille, though, start to finish, yeah. flawless. Yeah. I love it. Should have been in the Criterion before really, Wally. Really, truly should have been. Um. Also, if you're complaining about that, you're a loser. If you're complaining about Wally being in the Criterion collection, you're a loser. Oh, my God. You just got, you, you got fully, you're a loser. fully set up. Patton. You're a loser. You didn't even know it. Um, How dare you do that to Patton Oswalt? Our, uh, our I was just having I, I I was just having fun. He didn't he he did say yes though. He he did say yes that we could quote him as saying he, that. He you like he took a big long pause and he said yes. You pushed you pushed him. You begged him to say yes. He barely said yes, and then you acted like he really said yes. And now you're now you're t- two timing him. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you. Yeah, Pat. No, Joe's um, definitely watching John Dealman on the sly. I, I wish I, I actually haven't yet, but you know what? I was thinking, and we don't have to do this right now. But you're looking for that big swinger to go against Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, we've had some good suggestions. I'm just gonna say, like, you want a big ass swing? How about fucking John Dealman? <laughs> There's a fucking movie for you to pit against fucking Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <sighs> There's the biggest mistake of my life. The biggest mistake of my life was putting Die Hard in the canon and John Dillman in the trash canon. And it's because like it, it, I did the thing that we we do sometimes with this podcast, Brett, where you watch the movie the night before and then like you come in the next day and you're all jazzed about Die Hard, which is a perfect action film. It's not like it's a bad movie. It's a great action film. But then like a week later, you're like sitting there just only thinking about John Dillman. Anyway, we're here. We uh, talked yeah. about the first yeah. Bergman's movie being uh, 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 that John Ford is an ageless vampire who was the Jacobian playwright and the Western cool. yeah, director. That would, be great. I think actually we should do like an, a retelling of the Orpheus myth where you go into hell to recover John Dalman. I would. And then the last second, last second, yeah. you turn around, you turn around and look because you need that one little look of assurance. And then John Dalman goes, no. Nah. That would be awful. Uh, anyway, life is a tragedy. Life is a dark, heinous tragedy, but not mine. And that's kind of what I was getting at when I was like weirdly enthusiastic about how Alan J. Bakula died. Um, just yeah, a, that was weird. Just a dark. That was, well, I'm sorry. That was really <laughs> disgusting. I don't know what I was. I honestly don't know what my point was. You know what? We took like a two week break and we came back <laughs> as ourselves. We just came back. We just came back for real. I was riding the high of that oh. filmography, and I somehow thought him dying violently on the LAE was like an achievement. I don't know what. I I'm hope. Sorry. It, I, I hope really, it made some of y'all laugh because I'm it, sorry was, it was to, funny. It was funny when you said it. I'm sorry to uh, Cool's family. I'm sorry to his legacy. I'm yeah. sorry to Jane Livingston, his yeah. niece, who, he, uh, who who learned a lot from him, and then went on to make Paris the greatest documentary of all time. Yeah, I'm really truly good. sorry. I'm truly sorry uh, to the to the Pakula family and to yeah. Alan J. Pakula's memory. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish he was still around making movies. Yeah, I'm. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but I wasn't like I sell. I just. I don't know. I just lost the thread. I lost. I the, the my enthusiasm got away with me. Yeah, hey, that's all right. 
I think if I'm being honest, I was trying to maybe like imply that it was like a badass way to die, but it's not. It's not. No, it's a normal and sad way to die. It's a very sad way to die. Godard, though. That's a cool way to die. We all could be so lucky. So, uh, sorry, two packs that you enter into this week uh, on Bergman's. Number one, the Greenaway Challenge. Watch two to three Greenaway movies and no other movies for one week and let us know. Report back. See how it affects your life. Number two, we all agree that if we make it to 91 and we're satisfied with what we've done with our lives, we go dart it. We assisted suicide in Switzerland. Bye-bye. What's the problem? But that's, you know, for a different day, I guess. Different podcast. So here's what I'm going to say. The cook, the thief, his wife and her lover is an absolute fucking, I mean, guys, a, a movie's movie. This is a wonderful film. I would suggest any film lover watches it. It is truly exciting. And it is. And how about that little boy, like Brechtianly oh, singing yes. like a sad little boy song opera with his little tenor There's voice. There's a little like dishwasher in and the kitchen. And he just sings this like sad ass, what do you call this? Like a, like a. It's like a sad it's an aria, song. It's sort of yeah, an aria, right, yeah. but you don't know. It's at first it seems like uh like it's non diegetic sound on the soundtrack, but then they keep panning over, and then you just see this boy bathed in it's green so light cool. singing it, it's and there's so a good. song you've been hearing for like a minute. It's, it's a so gorgeous good. film. It's, it's so a gorgeous good. film, full and, of uh, wonders. And the whole all Nyman's Nyman scores an absolutely yes. five out of five, incredible. So this movie is amazing. But I'll tell you what, it's not just gonna be a Pat and Oswald on that podcast. Look, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover has been in my heart for five days. Ratatouille's been in my heart for 15 fucking years. That movie was good when I saw it in 2007. The movie was good when I saw it today. Maybe it's time to retire then. Maybe it's time to... No, that movie, no. It was so, it was great. It was enjoyable. It's definitely the best Pixar film. I haven't watched Toy Story in a minute, but I guess that's the only one I could even think would even come on up to Ratatouille's level. Although Up is up has that really sad moment, but Ratatouille's good every minute of the thing. And Up's good, but Up has that incredible sequence. Ratatouille has an incredible film. Patton Oswalt came on our podcast. That is tremendous. I love him. Uh, it's really cool. It was very nice very of him. Cool. And I'm that not cannot just, factor into this decision. I know. I know. I, I don't... I, I but, You know, it's already... It's, you can, look, here's the thing. Yeah. Two votes for Ratatouille. It's yeah. in the canon. You can yeah. know, like, I mean, right. we always have to be All honest. Right. Yeah. You can really be honest. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll just, if Patton's but still. be honest. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, which movie did I think uh, that I like more? Which one did I think was better? I mean, I hate to be that guy. I guess this is the new me. I don't want to be this guy. I want to be a good man for my son. I want to be a good man for Enzo. I am honored that Patton Oswalt came on our little podcast. That was incredibly cool and nice of him. And Ratatouille is a perfect film as well. But upon these two watchings, if I must and if I may, and if this maybe this is who I am. Maybe I'm the maybe I'm this guy. Maybe I'm just maybe this is the new me. Bergman's heads. I just I'm honest now. I'm done with all the bullshit. Return I'll come in here. College Joe. I'll, I'll tell NYU you. Joe I'll tell is you. I'll tell you. I'll tell us. Call everybody stupid i'll tell you the cook the thief his wife and her wow. lover is better than ratatouille that's what i'll do wow i don't like it if i saw oh man you know what's so crazy i yeah. just love pat and oswald and i'm gonna see him and i love ratatouille and he's gonna he's no, gonna no, fucking no, no. you me. visibly were tortured by this decision but i will say me. joe i i know a movie's like he texted me and said, "This this fucking movie, this right. movie. No, this is wrecked a, like, me. This movie was great. This movie, and, and it was also my, 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 my It was my mood. You know, I was like, yeah. I just was craving somebody to fucking land one on me. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. somebody to fucking remind me what the fuck is going on. And this movie just punched me right in the face. And I was like, thank fucking god, I needed, I needed this. I, I remember ne- that I post so uh, uh, first couple of weeks of Sandy being born too. I was watching fucking Argento movies. I was Dude. watching te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like." Fucking murder crush me, me. murder I, I, me, guys. I, I I haven't had any sleep, and um and I've just been being awake, 
uh, making sure my son's okay and just watching movies and uh, just drinking coffee. And I needed like a, I needed just like, you know, a, a, a heroin injection into my balls. And, um, I got, and that one. was this, and that was this. And it, it just lit me, lit me on fire. This movie fucking rules. It is, it's in, I, I'm trying to decide whether it's top five or top six Bergman's Ooh. films. It's in the top five or Ooh. top six. I, I haven't really sat down with the list. Um, uh, you know, but I will top say, five or top though, six Bergman films. Even though watched. I put it, even though I put it in the trash cannon, which is fucking ridiculous, it's but very that's funny. the only option I had. That's a stupid podcast. Uh, <laughs> Ga- Gambon, maybe. Come on. Uh, dev- definitely top five performances we've seen on, uh, on Weekend at Bergman's. Yeah, uh, man. Gambon, oh baby, you guys are all smart. You know the deal. But if you only know Gambon as Dumbledore, get get twist that untwist that and then get fucking retwisted. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Watch Cook the Thief. You're going to do a Greenaway week. You're going to report back and yeah. tell us how it was. You're going to tell uh, if anything changed or if it's just business as usual. And we're going into Cassavetti's next week. Holy shit. We're going into Cassavetti's next week. So yeah, that, that's apologies. Why it, it's um, good to shift your brain cells. It's good to just stuff down some Greenaway. You'll be all shook up and you can be like, oh, fuck, right. Movies. Yes. Fuck. Jesus and, Christ. And then you can just gorge on husbands with us next week. Oh, folks. my God. Okay. So here's the deal. Uh, uh, apologies. I know we got some Ken Russell, some real Ken Russell diehards out there. Listen to the podcast. I, too, am a Ken Russell diehard. Oh, come on. Women in Love is an all-timer. Uh, uh, fucking Altered States. The Devils, which is what we were going to watch. We love Ken Russell. Unfortunately... Uh, blame, blame Enzo, blame, blame Joe's. Did we do a whole Enzo? Th- like Joe named his kid Enzo. It's the coolest fucking name I've ever heard in my Thanks. life. His name's his name's Peter Lorenzo Hevrencilio. Going by Enzo. Are going you by Enzo. Me? Are you fucking kidding me? It's my little boy. I love him. Are you kidding me? And I'm going to go watch the Eagles with him right now. Oh my God. Come God on. bless Enzo. God bless the movies next yeah, week. Uh, so we're anyway, we're going to come back. Nolan. We're going to, uh, we're going to come back to uh, the devils versus sister act. We'll find a place for that in the schedule upcoming. So don't fear Russell heads and whoopee heads. We're going to circle back on, uh, on that. Uh, but next week is, uh, uh, bo- uh, boys behaving badly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, husbands versus the hangover. Uh, we might be joined by some guests for that one as well. Stay tuned. Really? Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. This is oh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we were looking for something to pair uh, with the Hangover for a while, and somebody came through with the husbands, uh, with husbands, and we said, "Hey, you want to do it with us? Come on, the, come on the damn podcast! Can't with wait!" Us. Uh, so stay tuned for that, and then thank you again to Kaylee, um, one of one of our one of our favorite listeners, one of our most loyal listeners, Kaylee. Thank you so much. I hope we did. Hope you did, we did you proud for this absolutely insane. Pan Oswald talked about Ratatouille. Come on, come on Kaylee, that rules. This is because of you. It's because of you, Kaylee. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe Dog. to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.